Hey everybody, we're back with another episode of the Made for TV Mayhem show. This one's going to be really fun, I think, because we picked two pretty fun titles. One that I'd never seen before, and one that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, this week, in case you're wondering what our topic is, is Vixens, uh, small screen Vixens. Now, I kind of did that randomly. I think we could argue that there are better Vixens on the small screen, but that just when I was looking for something to pair together, these sort of hit me as, wow, these girls are kind of evil. And awesome. So <laughs> why not do a podcast episode about them? So the two movies we're talking about tonight is a 1983 movie called Summer Girl, which starred Diane Franklin. I kind of gave it two AKAs. Um, one is Everybody's Evil Except Kim Darby. And the other <laughs> title is Kim Darby's a Goddess. And we'll talk about that as we go on. And then we pair that up with a 1996 TV movie. So we're finally going back to the 90s called The Face of Evil, which stars a teeny tiny Tracy Gold as one of the nastiest characters I've ever seen on a TV movie. And she's amazing. So we'll see what everybody else thought. Um, and other than that, I don't think there's much to say, except I'm more prepared than usual. So <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not... I don't know. I think people are used to me saying that. I, for, I forget how to podcast if I go like two days without doing it. So let's just get started. Uh, Dan, what's up? Can I just say I'm up to my ears in Vixens over here. They're everywhere. The, the Oh, the Vixens. Yeah. I don't know that... I don't know that I've ever really met any Vixens per se. But isn't every if... man's dream to be up to their ears in Vixens? I suppose. I suppose. Um, I uh, One of my dreams was uh, to uh, one day be up to my, uh, my up to my ears in like hot caramel sauce mm -hmm. <laughs> me too yeah so so i you know maybe if you could throw a vixen in there hey why not Even i'm up so, for it so how tall are you dan i'm uh, a five nine five ten ish okay so how tall do you think barry bostwick is oh like a seven foot four the hey. the height of a god what if he was covered up to his ears in vixen be a lot of vixens that is that a lot would, of i think you can only handle one at a time but especially if they were tracy gold sized oh my god that's so many that's so many he could put her in his back pocket and like run down yeah. the road with her which is amazing <laughs> um too bad they didn't do a film together um anyway i'll move on from that because this is going to go to really dark places i think but um <laughs> nate how are you i'm fantastic now that falls here have you started wearing your bat pjs not yet, because it's still really warm here. Mm, yeah, it's warm here, too. I'm really Same looking forward here. to those, Nate. What are you wearing now? What are you wearing now? My gym shorts and a t-shirt. I'm very boring tonight. I don't know. It doesn't sound boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been working out? Uh, sure. We'll say we'll go with that. Okay. Thank you, Nate. Okay. <laughs> so that's me trying to be a vixen. I'm not very good at it. I'm going to have to like, destroy his home later. So if your house catches on fire in the middle of the night, that was me, Nate. I'm sorry. Um, because because I felt denied. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, you know, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I always just think of Fatal Attraction, you know. I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm right here, Nate. I'm over. <laughs> You know, it's funny. You say Fatal Attraction, and I scaled it all the way back to an early 90s movie called Obsession with Shannon Doherty. Like, I don't even get to the theater with my, like, references. <laughs> <laughs> and probably, like, three people recognize that film title, which we were going to cover. It was on my list, and we'll get to it. It's so, so good. But anyway, though, that's another vixen for another day. Oh, by the way, if everybody's listening, um, oh, this will probably come out afterwards, but check out Lifetime because... Um, Shannon Doherty just made a new TV movie for Lifetime, which is a really big deal because wow. she just recovered from breast cancer. And I think it's called, oh my God, No One Would Tell. It's a remake of a Candace Cameron, Fred Savage TV movie from the mid-90s. I saw that one. Did you? What did yes. you think of it? Um, I liked it back when I watched it. 
I mean, I want the original one now. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Seen the new one, but yeah, I liked it uh, way back when. I thought it was interesting to see Fred Savage play such a nasty character. That's what I'm hearing. So Shannon yeah. is going to play the mom in this. I don't recognize the actress playing her daughter, but um, it's kind of a big deal. It's been getting some traction over the last couple of days, and I'm really excited because I'm a huge fan of hers, and it's really nice to see her acting again, and she looks amazing. So um, that's something to promote uh, right off the bat. This is uh, this is going to be Shannon Doherty in her prime vixen, is what we're doing. So I guess we'll just jump right into it, because I can't think of anything else clever or funny to say. Not that I ever say anything really that funny or clever. So um, Dan, why don't you go ahead and get us started? All right, here we go, folks. Summer Girl. Okay, it aired on CBS on April 12th, 1983. Uh, let's see, director Robert Michael Lewis, uh, teleplay A.J. Carruthers from a novel by Caroline Crane. A.J. Carruthers. I know that name. You do, and I think when I do the background, I'll mention a couple things okay. about him, I think, and then we can, okay. it'll, it'll probably ring a bell, but I can't remember offhand why. Okay, and I, I've got uh, Meryl in front of me here uh, for the names, so you might hear the sounds of Meryl crinkling here. Oh, so I what love we the ha- sounds of Meryl crinkling. This, this, listen to the sounds of Meryl. Okay, we got the Shelbournes. They're mother, father, two kids, Gavin, Mary, and the kids are Jason and Fern. I didn't realize the girl was named oh, Fern. Fern, that's Fern. So Fern is, um, do you know she's a Jacoby? She's got Jacoby's sister. Yes, and, and we all know who Jason is. It was Dave Faustino, was that right? Yeah, our, okay. our Bud Bundy, yeah. Uh, so they live in a, an apartment in the city. I'm guessing it's like New York City. I, I don't remember if they say or not. Uh, but they live in an apartment in a city. Summer's about to begin. And the dad is very frazzled. And the mom is getting very pregnant with the third child. And the dad expresses some... Uh, he, he's not... He, he wants to be wilder and crazier. He's a jerk is what he is. He kind of is, yeah. But he, he's he's chosen to settle down and have the kids. But he really Aww. sounds unha- unhappy with the life oh, he has. How noble. <laughs> how honorable. Oh, Whatever. Oh, Gavin. And, and, of course, uh, and of course, Mary's played by Kim Darby. So she always looks kind of nervous and pensive no matter what's going on. I thought so she, she looks really lovely that in well. this movie, though. Oh, she's got... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, well, they put her in a lot of dresses that are sort of like, mm, I don't know, yeah, I guess we'll, those are We'll talk pregnant. about her performance. Okay. Uh, and so what they do is they're going to take a house for the summer right on the beach. He's still going to work, so going to town on, on, on the weekdays. And so she's going to hire a teenager to assist, and this always goes well, a teenager to assist her taking care of the kids and the house. And her name is, well, it's uh, Cinny, right? Diane mm, Franklin. Sin. Cinny, oh boy! And when when we meet Cinny, she she looks rather frumpy, and she she's very sort of um, straight laced. How do you take your coffee, Cynthia? Oh, black. And you might as well call me Cinny. All my friends do. All right, Cinny. Now let's um talk about you. Well, there's not much to say. I go to high school. I read a lot. Romantic novels mostly. Have you spent time with small children? I've done some babysitting. Any brothers or sisters? Just lots of fathers. Uh, my mom's been married three times. You do swim, I hope. <laughs> Since I was eight years old. Oh, no, thanks. I'm on a diet. I'm supposed to be. Well, I'm pretty determined when I put my mind on something. I asked the children to come in. Fern, Jason? Here they are. Hi there, kids. Um, What were you doing in there? Were you playing a game? We were playing fish. Well, that's a good one. But I like spoons better. Spoons? Don't you know how to play spoons? It's really fun. Is it hard? You could learn it in about two minutes. Because you're really smart. How do you know? I 
can just tell. Can we have a cookie? Yes, you may. <laughs> Cindy, why don't you give me your mother's phone number? It's kind of hard to get her on the phone. She's always so busy. Well, I would think she would like to know who we are and what we expect of you. Does that mean I get the job? Well, you have all the right qualifications and you seem very mature. Most of the girls I've interviewed need someone to take care of them. But then the moment she sort of gets the job and leaves their apartment, uh, she takes off the glasses and, wait a minute, it, it's Diane Franklin. She's hot. <laughs> yeah, she's and, beautiful. And, pl and plus, she begins to hear voices, something about a ring, and she sees the image of a dead woman in like a window. So she may be a little doolally, you know, we'll find out as we go along. Uh, so summer begins and they go to pick her, uh, uh, Cindy up. And we do hear, we hear from, is it, it's Cindy's mom, correct? Is the yeah. person? Okay. Cindy's mom basically said, oh, this will be so great for her because one of her friends recently died. And so, oh, okay, that'll be great. Uh, but when Cindy shows up and they pick her up, she ain't plain old Cindy anymore. She is Cindy Munn. She is. <laughs> she is looking good. That's and hilarious. The, and the One of the thing. comments that I read about that transformation is they said, yeah, she went to her interview looking like little Debbie and then shows up looking like Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so it's perfect. truth. Cindy? Hello, Mrs. Shelburne. Did you tell me she was on the plain side? She was. Here, I'll put those in the back for you. Are you Mr. Shelburne? Yes. You're not at all what I expected. You're not what I expected either. Hi, kids. Hi. Well, Penny, you did say you were on a diet. Do I look better? That determination of yours has certainly paid off. Okay, kids. Let's get to the beach, huh? Aren't you excited? I am. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to get into my suit. She, yeah, she shows up, and the first thing she does is she flirts with Gavin, and Gavin uh, As sort you of do. has a, yeah, uh, Gavin kind of has a look on his face like, what in the hell? And they, they go to the beach house. And the summer begins, and, and Cindy's there, and she's kind of ingratiating herself with the children, apart from she when she occasionally does something violent and scares the children. <laughs> but most of the time, she's, in, she's ingratiating herself with the children, and she's really beginning to flirt hard with Gavin. And Gavin is not unaware of this, nor is he adverse to looking. And we meet uh, their – I forget what their neighbors' names are. Oh, it's the Reardons, Jack and Esther. Marie Hamilton. Yes, good old Murray Hamilton. We meet Jack and Esther, who are sort of very much like, I don't want to call them like the Ropers, but they're kind of, because Jack ain't like Mr. Roper at all. But but they're sort of Roper-esque, uh, a variation. If the yeah. Ropers had more had more sex, I guess this would be this would be the Reardons. And they're the, they're the kind of couple who, um, when the mom is feeling down as the movie progresses, even though she's pregnant, her friend will slip some booze into her coffee. Yes, all they're all evil in this movie. They're all awful. So, so basically what happens, and I don't want to go too far into it because I'm sure we'll talk about it, but what happens, yes, Cindy basically begins to ingratiate herself with the kids and flirt with Gavin, and Mary becomes very worried. She takes lots of pictures, so she has all these pictures of, like, you know, them kind of fooling around with the surfboard out in the water. Uh, there's a bit where uh, Gavin goes and saves her because it looks like she's drowning, him staring at her, like, suntan lotioning up her legs, and, uh, yeah, and every once in a while, 
Sinny uh, will get this thing where she'll kind of look up and go, I am the moon goddess. And oh, you're yeah. thinking, all right, that's yeah. fantastic. And, and sort of it goes along where she begins to undermine Mary. And she does it in that sort of way where she's kind of gaslighting her, where she, oh, Mary yeah. says, she's doing this. Uh, we could talk about stuff. She, she's doing this. And Gavin's like, she's not doing anything. And the Reardons are like, she's not doing anything. Gavin's mom comes to say, I forget the actress's name, but she's played by Bob oh, Newhart's mom on the Bob it's show. Martha Scott. And yes. I think um, she's uh I think she's the mom from the Six Million Dollar Man. But I oh, get her mixed up with Jeanette oh. Nolan and I can't remember which one's which, but I oh, think Martha okay. Scott is the mom. She might be, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it kinda of goes along like this. And at some point you meet a young man who I want to say is Peter? I think is that yeah, his name? That's or... Hunt Block. I can't remember the character's name, but yeah. Hunt Block plays him. Hunt. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, we'll it's... talk about Hunt Block, baby. <laughs> and 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 sort of you, you get a little sort of strangeness here, where one day this guy Peter shows up, and he's a bit older than Sydney, and it's kind of intimated that they were lovers at one time, and possibly the ring and the ghost that we keep seeing uh, has something to do with his family and his, I believe, dead wife. I got a little lost here and there occasionally. There was a lot of names. There was a lot of stuff going on, but. Yeah, I don't right. want to go too much further because oh, uh, I don't want to go too much further because yes, yeah, Cindy just basically begins to pour it on, and then she begins to do stuff like drug uh, Mary's like coffee and and her drinks and stuff like that. And it just begins to get to the point where she is the kids are now on her side. She is going to seduce Gavin, and she is more or less going to take over the role of Mary. And it's implied that was the same thing she did with Peter's family. Sort of, yes. and it kind of builds and builds to um, well, I'll I'll stop it there. So, Dan, had you you yeah. hadn't seen this before, right? I had not, no. And? I really enjoyed it. Now, I will say this. I watched it twice for this. I enjoyed it more the first time uh, just because I didn't know what was going to happen. But I did like it the second time, sort of seeing all, all the stuff that Cine does. Because sometimes it's, it's kind of blatant what she does and sometimes it sneaks up on you. Right. And so, so the second time through, I was able to sort everything through. But then the second time through, when I got to the ending, I was, I was, I was a little like, eh, kind of losing interest a bit. But the first time I saw it, I thought, this is pretty darn good. I, I'm quite enjoying this. I, I, I mean, everyone's awful. Uh, I could watch Diane Franklin put suntan lotion on her legs all day long <laughs> if there was there was a movie of that. And the moment I found out two ca- cast members from Better Off Dead were in this. I was like, are you kidding me? That's one of my favorite films. Oh, my God. Wait, who's this? Oh, Kim Darby. Yeah. I'm so yep. stupid. Yeah, somebody else pointed that out, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's right. So I, I did quite enjoy it. I, I will say the only the only uh, thing, and this was just, just for me, is that I see that it was based on a novel. Yes. I, I feel like on occasion there were bits, like like maybe Cine's background may have been sketched in a little better in the novel. I, I, don't, mind it be, I, I don't mind it being vague, but – there were just certain moments where it was like it's it was almost too vague as if they maybe left something out from the novel sure. but i don't i don't know that for sure it didn't bother me it was just when i got to the end i thought i would have liked to just just known a little bit more about Cindy and what made her do that and do it twice or maybe more than that <laughs> so 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 but um but yeah overall i i, I quite enjoyed it I, I think it's got a lot of a lot of incident a lot of interesting stuff happening and and it draws towards a conclusion that i really liked the first time i saw it the second time like i said i got a little a little little, little bored with it but uh overall i give it i give it a, i give it a thumbs up good, good times nate now you've seen this nate you were kind of excited we were going to cover it so um why don't you tell us what you think of it 
Um, yes, I saw it. Uh, it's been a really long time ago when I saw it, but I liked it. So then when you brought it up, I was like, oh, I'm excited because I get to rewatch it. And I still liked it just as much this time around. I always like these movies where, um, you know, there's like an outsider that comes into a family and, you know, it's just like the, the whole thriller. Because they usually have a formula to them where usually there's one character that sees what's going on, but everybody thinks that character's crazy. Um, and that happens in this movie yes. because, you know, poor Kim Darby, poor Mary. I mean, good grief. She got to contend with a lot in this movie and her husband's going and having an affair and then going to take the side of, uh, Cindy, who he's slept with on his wife. And I'm like, you are not a very good person in this movie, Barry Bostwick. <laughs> I am very disappointed. Um, we can sort of talk about Barry Bostwick's career, um, doing that. In TV movies. Uh, there's a couple off the top of my head I'll probably bring up when it's my turn. But anyway, go ahead. I always think of Rocky Horror when I think of Barry Bostwick. Yeah, I, can't yeah. I, can't think of, I can't think of anything when I look at him. I just get lost. I get lost. <laughs> uh, lost in the hunkiness, sure. He's so ridiculous. Yeah, he's ridiculous. But anyway. You don't, get, you, don't, you don't get that way with Murray Hamilton? I love Murray Hamilton, but in a different way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I like the ending and... Um, I liked that one character got a slap across the face, oh, which was well-deserved. Right. That's right. <laughs> there was another character that I think deserved one as well, but didn't <laughs> get one, which I was very disappointed about as also. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that end, and, and Gavin, I'm sure. He kind of got off with more than he should have. And... I, he got off so easy in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did, and it, it upset me. But anyway, I, I keep cutting off, Nate. Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, that was, you know, basically what I was going to say is that I think it's 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 a lot of fun. If you like those like hand that rocks the cradle kind of movies, then, yeah, I mean, you'll like this one. It's it's just a fun movie. I didn't like seeing her kill that jellyfish, though. No. My jellyfish! You killed it! Why'd you kill it? What's the matter with you guys? Just a dumb jellyfish that didn't do anything but lie there. But it was mine and I wanted to keep it. Why'd you kill it? I just wanted to see what it would look like. Wasn't that funny? It's just the way I went squish? No. I'm going to tell my mommy. You look cute when you get mad. I tell you what, if you guys stop all this fuss about this dumb jellyfish, I'll tell you about my island. You have an island? Where? Can't tell you that. How do you get there? I swim. Or I fly. You can't fly without an airplane. I can. Do you know what my name is? Cindy. It's really Cynthia. Do you know what that means? It means moon goddess. And at night, when the moon is out, I go to my island. What's there on your island? My throne. And the treasure chest of jewels. The moon goddess loves jewels. Will you take us there? Maybe. If you never tell anybody about it. Can't we tell mommy? No, especially you can't tell her. That oh, was that really was dark. Very cruel. Yeah. I, I think it was good yeah. for the film, though, because I feel like you get a sense that she's crazy, but, like, what we're seeing, like, when she first sees that reflection of the girl and whatever she's looking at, the mirror or whatever, and you're like, well, she's obviously off her rocker, but you don't necessarily think of her as violent even though she obviously because you feel like it's an accident because they were fighting over the ring right and they just happened yeah. to be like on a cliff and the other girl lost her balance and fell 
And so, so while I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, well, it's just an accident. But then when you see her kill the jellyfish, you realize that there's way more darker things happening in that brain. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah, it's so like the, she had a taste for blood. The jellyfish had to die to develop the character. <laughs> Well, that was a sad situation. <laughs> and then it was just funny how she reacted to it. Because if you think about it, I mean, she still is very much like a kid herself. Because right. when the other kids are, you know, when the little kids are talking, you know, about her killing the jellyfish, I mean, her response is something along the lines of, well, stop worrying about the stupid jellyfish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's very like a temper tantrum childlike response. So I think her character's fascinating because it's like, on one hand, you know, she seems very childlike because that's what a lot of the other people say in the movie, too. They're like, well, she's a child. But you see things through Kim Darby's eyes, which is reality, the only one that has reality in this film. And you see that, like, she's very manipulative and, like, she's got everybody fooled except for Kim Darby. Now, I will say, I always say Kim Darby instead of Mary just because it's Kim Darby. That's right. That's why I say it. <laughs> The only thing I got to say is, like, she took a lot longer than I would have because once she started in on that whole stuff of, like, oh, you know, I saw you shut off the hot water, so I know you did it. I'd be like, excuse me, this is my house, and you are um, being paid to help me out. So uh, you could take that attitude and go on. Well, I don't ever ever work for you, Nate. (laughs) <laughs> I, I do wonder if maybe because um, because that was always uh, the thing I had through it too. fire her. Why not just fire her? Yeah, and, I would fire and, her a long time ago. Yeah. And, and, and I thought maybe maybe that was something maybe in the book there was something where yeah. it was like it couldn't be done or something like that, because that's one thing that like like there is a scene right near the end where she says, uh, you're done now. I'm letting you go. But by that time, she's so entrenched that the kids are like, what, mommy? No. And you're like, Fern, get to bed. The other one. Get to bed. I forgot the other one. Uh, the other one. Uh, but but by by that point, it's almost too late because she's gone completely round the rails. Well, uh, I feel and... like I feel like though she was patronized throughout the whole film. Like oh, she's pregnant and blah blah blah. Or and she's just a girl with a really great figure and and she's just a kid, like Nate said. And I feel like she felt so unsure of herself through like the first eighty percent of the film. Also, she was already skating on thin ice because their marriage was rocky to begin with. Yeah. So I think maybe like, but it was interesting if I could just jump in here. Um, so I never seen this before and I have mixed feelings about it. It's obviously a really good film and I would recommend it. It's really fun, but it's also kind of frustrating probably because the older I get, the more I relate to these older women characters that are like being treated horribly and then patronized about it. And they're just on their own trying to figure out how to like survive and like maintain the, this normalcy in their life. And I think Kim Darby's really good in this movie. I think everybody's really good. I think they play their parts really good. But like, I really felt for her. And it's one of the few times I can think of right off the top of my head where I've seen Kim Darby with that much energy. She always plays like really kooky characters and really plain Janes. And here they dress her down because she's pregnant and she's in those frumpy dresses that Dan pointed out. And I agree with that. But there's something about her character too that I think is really lovely. And I've always thought Kim Darby was lovely, but there's something more overt about her loveliness in this film, which I really appreciated. And it bothered me not so much. I mean, like they had a bad marriage and Gavin, whatever Gavin did, Gavin did. I, I don't like it. It, re- it infuriated me, but like it was already kind of heading into a bad direction. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then Cindy just kind of pushed it a little yeah. farther. Right. 
but hired the wrong gal. Yeah, yeah, but so I already was compelled for, to her character because it just she was in a bad situation to start off already. She was she was trying to do her best, and she honestly thought that this girl was gonna like come in and help her, and it just got so bad. And I just hated that she. I just felt like she was getting stepped on by everybody. But there were these really great shots of her watching Gavin and Cinny and soaking it all up into that little memory bank of hers. I don't think she knew what she was going to do with it exactly, but she was soaking up every second that she caught them together. And so I thought the photos were really interesting. Like, um, And it's too bad that they didn't really expand on that. Yeah. You know, that they weren't really ever used for anything. Like uh, I think Nate was talking about, since we're watching this movie through her point of view, I think it's interesting that the camera also was like a point of view that helps us see what's happening. You know what I mean? And so there's some really interesting stuff happening in the film. It just It just upset me in a way. That like I guess these films are gonna always upset me now that I'm kind of feel like I'm walking in the wife's shoes. Well, we could talk about the ending really briefly. So uh, Barry Boswick's character gets off real easy, and he actually gets to play hero at the end. So Cindy seduces him. Uh, at first, he's a little hesitant, right? And then he gives in pretty easily, and they have this one night stand. And I think they play it off really well, like the next scene where he doesn't really want to look at his wife. And he doesn't want to mm-hmm. talk to her. And, like, you can tell he's like, oh, man, I think I fucked up. But, like, mm-hmm. um, whatever. So I think they did it really good. You can feel, like, the tension and everything. But, like, that needed to be, like, uncovered in a bigger way to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to have him show up at the end as, like, this hero that gets on the boat. So Cindy at the end, she takes the two kids. And they're terrified at this point. They're like, we want our real mom, guys. And, like, I, I don't want to go with you. And she's like, well, I'm going to take you to my island. She talks about this island that she has. And she's the moon goddess on this island. She takes them out to sea. And then, of course, you know, Gavin is the one that saves them and brings them back to shore. And they're like, oh, Gavin saved everybody. And and then he's hugging his wife at the end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't, I don't care how long and beautiful your legs are, Barry Boswick. <laughs> I don't care how you look in those short shorts. I don't care about that thick mane of hair on your head. I don't care about those muscular toned arms and you in swim trunks. I don't care. I mean, I do. I really care, Barry Boswick. But in uh, Gavin, I don't care. It's not going to work this time. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I made no sense right now. I know that. But anyway, I just... Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I just that feel like his character... Should, there should have been more comeuppance to that character, and it yeah. felt really unfair. Yeah. Um, especially it, since these are movies made for women. And I yeah. feel like... I feel like Kim Darby really needed more justice in this film. There there needs to be a moment where it's like, thank you for saving the children. We got to talk. <laughs> and, but, but that, you know, and that freeze frame, you know. That's the, for the that's, sequel. Uh, that's the sequel, the sequel. It's a 90-minute therapy session. Well, what I thought was honestly going to happen was that, I think the boat capsizes or something, and what I thought was going to happen was that Cindy was going to disappear into the water, and then he was going to get the kids back to shore, and then the, everything was going to fade to black, and then it was going to fade to another day, and Cindy was going to get another job as like a nanny. And you just—it seems like that would be the typical kind of ending. Yeah, that's what I was expecting to happen, but she actually got arrested, which was kind of nice. Yeah, and the whole time yelling, she was hitting them, and she was just, oh yeah, okay, Cindy, we got it, we got it. Mm-hmm. And, and now just, you're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> the um, I I do. Uh, there there are two things. One. I have never had a moment in my life where I've stood on the edge of a cliff fighting with someone over something. Cindy's had it happen kind of twice. So I guess different different strokes for different folks. And two, they when when Barry and and Cindy have the uh, the tryst, it's out on the sand, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I I don't want to think where the sand got. 
because uh, sand gets everywhere. And, yeah, but um, people do it on the beach all the time. Sure, and they get sandy, and it's it's not. You put a towel down. Well, then you go to the water, and you're done. Okay, but they, do they go? Do they go? To, do they well, go to the water? They had to fade to black. It's a TV movie, but if this oh, was a realistic film, yes, mm-hmm. they would have walked out into the water and cleaned themselves off. And Barry Bostwick would have had to because there's no way he could come in with sand all over his back and stuck on his butt. Oh yeah, like there's no <laughs> way he could have gotten away. <laughs> he could not have gotten away with sand on his butt. I'm just saying that's a clue out there that. The men should not think, do that if they're having an affair. What, yeah, I was going to say, if, if you wanted to make that film that seemed funny, you could have him lose his shorts in the water, and he has to sneak back inside past his wife without his shorts. Well, there's but nothing that's funny not, about that scene. No, there's nothing funny about it. I thought I'd just try to farce it up a bit. Yeah. But, um, but can we go back to her boyfriend, the yeah. one that ends up on the cliff? So Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. so he shows up in his van or whatever, and um and he's older but he didn't seem that much older but he's also like kind of a dark character too because i kind of think he he knew what would had happened in a way but just wasn't able to come to terms with it you know about his wife's supposed suicide there are things about it that made me feel like he had some general idea maybe that cindy was bad news but he couldn't get enough of her Mm -hmm. right and and he also had a baby so this woman that died his wife was a mother and so, like, she just, like, destroys lives. Because this was, like, the second boyfriend, I think, that this had happened to, right? And so yes. um, she's just, like, plowing her way through, like, the older guys of Malibu or wherever they were. You yeah. know? <laughs> she should yeah. have been at Zuma Beach just killing all of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made it darker. If the Zuma Beach 2, nighttime or nightfall. Yeah, what happens after the been... sun goes down, Diane Franklin yes. shows up. And, and she's oh, excellent my. in this film. She's so good because Diane Franklin, to yeah. me, is just like a little cute button. You know what I mean? She and, is, yeah. <laughs> and, like, she's really, really evil in this and really good at it. And it was a really surprising performance for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I know her from a bunch of stuff, mainly, like I said, kind of better off dead, where she's just, uh, I think I saw that when it came out in the theater when I was 12 or 13, and I just I just fell in love with French women at that time. She's just fantastic. Uh, and her, too, specifically her. Yeah, she is just great in this. And those moments when she's just, like, in the midst of it and planning and plotting, and then all of a sudden, I am the moon goddess. It's like, whoo, honey, you are good and screwy, is what it is, big time. She's fantastic. And poor Kim Darby. I actually have the movie playing here, and she's in one of her big Moo Moo-style dresses. And they got her walking along. She's I mean, going, oh, this- she, oh couldn't, she couldn't even get Gavin's mom to, like, side with her. Oh, like, that, like, It was yeah. so infuriating, like, how little stock they took. It. People who knew her, mm-hmm. like, really mm-hmm. well, just, like, blew off all of her suspicions. And... It was like it plays on it plays on that hysteria, the stereotype of female hysteria when they're pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, and like and it's really infuriating to watch that. But I thought I thought oh, Martha Scott finally showed up, you know, <laughs> things are going to things are going to change around here. Yes. Yeah. Steve Austin's and mom she, is here and she's here to kick ass. Did she how many of the other women say something like, oh, well, she's just got a cute bottom or something that's like that. Doesn't right? that come up? Well, that's <laughs> oh, another, yeah, that's right. That's the other thing, too, because so the what are they called? The Reardons, Marie Hamilton and his. Oh, wife. I get it. The cute bottom, the Reardons. The I Reardons. Get it. Yeah, they show up. They have such a dysfunctional marriage. Like she's like, oh, is his name Jack? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Jack and Esther. Yeah. Marie Hamilton's character. She's like, oh, you know. I don't know which Jack likes more, coming home on the weekends to the beach or going or working in the city. And Kim Darby's like, well, why would he like working in the city? Well, that way he can see Jane and Mary and Stephanie. And he Murray says, Murray oh. Hamilton? Yes. And she okay. says, he says, all simple women 
who fulfill a simple need. Mm-hmm. And we, and then she said, oh, how can you stand that? And she said, well, we might not be in love, but we mean a lot to each other. And then at the end, she's driving uh, Kim Darby to the beach, and she's like, so many of us would would give our lives for what you have or something to that effect. And you're like, but his Gavin just cheated on her. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it was just so infuriating. These women yeah. were infuriating the, yeah, the, me. The, the Reardon couple, they're, they're just a bit a bit odd because he seems kind of like just a dirty old man and she seems like someone who's just kind of settled on I have a nice house at the beach I have everything I want if I if I want something else he'll get it for me and uh, we probably drink a lot yeah you know? oh, so much that I'm going to give this pregnant woman something in her drink yeah uh, that's I guess it was 1981 or two whatever. whenever the heck it was and and pregnant women drink I mean I know my mom used to down the six packs when I was that um, explains so much bowl. about you Dan yes it does yes it does you live and learn live and learn <laughs> yeah but it was just it was really frustrating because it was like she had no cheerleaders at all usually there's a friend that kind of listens to you and then they end up dead Yes. Where's that friend? Where's that friend? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, who knows? Uh, that guy might have been, what is it, Peter or whatever? He might have been a friend if he had... Lived yeah. long enough. Lived long enough, yes, yes. Also, that's when I would have fired Cindy. So like, so, like, they go to get food with the kids, and they're talking, and then they come back, and they're sitting on the couch, and she's like, stop it. And then she hears Gavin and Mary come home, and then she's like, okay, let's make out on the couch so they catch us. Mm-hmm. And which is a stupid, I don't know why she would do that except to get Gavin's attention. But then the second I saw that, I would have been like, you're out of my house because my kids are here. Yeah, you're not doing that. Yeah, it's a midday. You know, it's not like it's nine or 10 o'clock in the evening. No, you know, no, the you kids got... aren't asleep. They're playing a game yeah. in the other room. Yeah. And I would have been yeah. really. So anyway, there were things about this movie that frustrated me. And so like mm-hmm. I, as a piece of escapism, like I'd hate to say it's not a good movie because it is. But maybe it was just my frame of mind when I was watching it. But I was getting. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Do you remember that movie Pacific Heights with uh, Michael Keaton? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that frustrated the hell out of me, too. But it's a good film. But, like, mm-hmm. he just kept, like, doing these things, and you kind of felt like there there must be a way out of this. But he just kept doing it. And then it led to whatever consequence. I don't even remember the whole film. But I remember getting really upset. And my sister, I watched it with my sister, and she got so upset, she actually jumped up off the couch and was yelling at the TV. <laughs> and so I think sometimes you feel like, I guess these movies are sort of designed to make you feel smarter. Yeah, I you know what I mean? Like, I would never do that. And then you kind of have the, can have this air of superiority like Nate did just now. Oh, yes. <laughs> You're not doing that in my house. Like, is it a oh. fucking Tyler Perry movie or something? Hey, she was in the wrong. <laughs> she was. But she did do these little things that could be considered, like, hardcore gaslighting. Like, do you remember Mary lost her keys? And yes. she couldn't pick up Gavin in time. And then she said, but I found him. And then Gavin said, well, where were they? And she said, in my purse. And you know Cindy did that. And that was that was devious. Like, of all yeah. the things that she did, that was one of the most devious things she did because it was so subtle. Mm-hmm. You know that it really feeds into this idea that she's not herself right now. Yeah. I have a feeling she did a lot more of those during the summer. I always summer. thought it was interesting how manipulative she was around the kids. Like, yes. when Mary would say... Uh, would would basically try to correct the kids like that one scene when she was trying to get them to leave uh, the beach when Peter comes in to play um, and uh, Cindy's like no no I you know so they can stay and Mary's right. trying to say you know hey you know I'm you know basically what she's trying to say is that she's being undermined by Cindy but she doesn't quite have that you know confrontational attitude at that point in, t- in the movie. 
So Cindy just kind of gets her way and she kind of does it by manipulating the kids against their mother in just these very subtle ways. Mm -hmm. That way, eventually, when it comes down to it, like you were saying earlier, when it comes down to when she finally has had enough and fires her at this point, Cindy's pretty much won everybody in the family over except for her. Yeah. And she Gavin's like, you fired her. And he was like, I want to throw something at my TV because you know what I mean? You know, well, are you not going to keep her? Just, I thought you needed help. Like, oh God, stop it, Kevin. That's that's one of those moments too that makes me. Think, I'd love to read the novel to see if that was a little more nuanced or something in the novel because here it just seems pretty sort of blunt that it's like, really, man, come on. Your your wife is clearly going through distress. You cheated on her with this teenage gal, and this is your response to your wife being in distress. No, 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 no. So I'm wondering if there is something if there was something in the novel that that gave extra yeah. sort of impetus to that, where it was like he did that because of this reason or I don't know, something. Don't know. There's no excuse for Gavin. And I hate saying that. Yeah. So let's just briefly talk about Barry Bostwick as a snake in the grass. Mm-hmm. So oh boy. <laughs> I'm only going to mention a couple of movies off the top of my head. And he's actually not so much a snake in the grass, but he did a, a mini series called Deceptions. And in Deceptions, okay, first of all, Deceptions is like the best fucking miniseries ever made. I'm just going to put that out there. It stars Stephanie Powers, but not just one Stephanie Powers, two Stephanie Powers. She is twins. One's plain, as plain as Stephanie Powers can possibly be, and the other one's like super 80s. And they decide to switch lives because the plain one is married to Barry Bostwick, who's this professor at this college. And the other one lives this really glamorous life in England where it's like she lives in like a fucking castle or something. And she, but she hates her life. I don't know why. And her gay best friend is Jeremy Brett from Sherlock Holmes. Oh, um, yeah. I love Jeremy Brett. Yeah, and yeah. Gina Lola Bridget is in it, okay? So anyway, what? Yes, this is like the best miniseries ever. So anyway, Barry <laughs> Boswick is like, he's got this line and I wish I I could remember it offhand where he talks about living in like... Um, like a, the malaise of uh, suburban whatever. And he's just laying there like he's so defeated. And then and then the plane, I don't want to give too much away, but the something happens to the plane, Stephanie Powers, so that the 80 Stephanie Powers has to kind of take over that life, like assume it forever. And all of a sudden, Barry Boswick's like, you're so fiery and you're so this. But I'm like, but it's not your wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of frustrating, but that's a really fun movie. And then he did another one, which is called Betrayed by Innocence. But the AKA for the video release might be more apt. And that's Jailbait. And that's, Holy where, yeah, <laughs> and that's where he meets this girl. He's a filmmaker and he meets this girl and she's super into film. And he's like, why don't you come to my set, beautiful blonde girl? And he's like, okay. And he's married to Lee Purcell, who, by the way, is an exceptionally beautiful woman. And then they're like on the set and whatever. And then they end up getting like stuck at this hotel, right? He's like seduced in like two seconds. But her dad's a cop and he's also like 35 and she's 16. Mm. So shit happens. Happens hard. Wow, he, yeah. he he made a name for himself in this genre. Yes, he did. He got this more of a, he got more of a comeuppance in in jailbait than he does uh, in this. But like I was when I was watching jailbait. this, yeah, I know that great. <laughs> While I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, he really plays these snakes in the grass so well. It just shows what a good actor he is because mm-hmm. he's super lovable in person to me, and also oh, that yeah. character he played in Spin City was like the mm-hmm. exact opposite of the character he plays here, you know? And so like, I really appreciate him as an actor, but the character itself drove me mad. The only thing about the character that didn't drive me mad was his wardrobe. Cause it was yeah. a lot of Barry Bostwick for TV. 
God, a Barry Boswick for all of us to enjoy. Is, all seven foot four. Is that a wide angle lens, Barry? Because I think you need one. <laughs> yes. Did Did you watch that video I posted of him doing um, the aerobics? No, no, I didn't. Okay, well, I'll send it to you guys, and you can you can kind of see what Barry Boswick has to offer because it leaves little <laughs> to the imagination. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of love him. So I'm going to put that out there. But he's a snake in the grass too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't have, I don't know. If there's more to say about. Yeah, I'm film. not. I, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm trying to think if there's there's anything else. I, I do have a, a line of notes here that just says legs, shorts, bus. I guess that was when she was oiling her legs and Barry was oh. in little shorts, and I think someone got, he got on a bus. That's hilarious because when you said leg shorts and then you were talking about her, I was like, oh, I'm thinking of Barry Bostwick. Like, I look at Diane Franklin and I recognize that she's a very beautiful woman, but I was totally distracted. Sure, sure. I was totally oh, distracted. Uh, I didn't even get it. No, she was really well cast in this. And um, and also, you showed a bit of range on her part, too, because like I said, she was plays always. Like in Last American Virgin, she ends up being a little more devious than I think we think she's going to be. But mm -hmm. um, in um, Amityville 2, she's really sweet and innocent in that, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Amityville too. Yeah, it's a great film, but like that's kind Love of it. how I see her, like this sort of bright-eyed, mm -hmm. kind of perky, sweet girl. And yeah. so like she's all of those things in this film to a degree, but then with like a really dark edge to it. And it was really great to see her do this performance, and I think she would have been really good in a lot of these types of films, and it's too bad she didn't do more of them. Yeah, I agree. I do have the, the last note I have here is she's rotten. So I guess that sums it up. My thoughts about yeah, her. She she's rotten. She's rotten to the core. <laughs> with a cute, with a cute bottom. With a, yeah, she has a cute body. We heard that from everybody in the movie. <laughs> everybody said it except for Mary, and that's how you know. Even little little uh, Fern and yeah, Fern um, didn't David. Say it. No, Fern didn't, didn't say it. it. She was thinking Fern, it. She was thinking. <laughs> she was thinking. Yeah, if they had um, kid subtitles, you could access. On yeah. the Blu-ray. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Actually, I would love to see this movie. I think it might have had a VHS release, but I'd like to see it get a, a DVD release or a Blu-ray. Mm. I, I think it would be a movie that people would really like if um, they had better access to it. Like a yeah. really good copy of it. And Nate, do you have anything you want to add? Um, No. No, I think we've pretty much summed it up for uh, the summer girl. I guess we're going to... The sun is going to set on our summer girl. See what I did? It's funny. <laughs> Yay. Yay! So my the notes summer are, girl. My notes are totally screwed up here. So let's see if I can actually figure out where I am. Okay, so uh, the same week that Summer Girl ran, uh, Fantasies aired that same week in a rerun. So Fantasies is that Suzanne Plachette movie that I'm always talking about. That's like the slasher where she's the soap opera head runner, and people start killing off the characters in the soap. That reran. The same week as Summer Girl. So that's an excellent night of TV. I just wanted to point that out. And also Summer Girl reran on September uh, 2nd, 1984. On its original run, it ran against, um, on NBC, Remington Steel and St. Elsewhere. And on ABC, of course, it ran against the juggernaut we call Three's Company. It ran against an episode of 9 to 5. And it also ran against an episode of Heart to Heart. Speaking of Stephanie Powers and Barry Boswick. Oh my god. So this was directed by Robert Michael Lewis, who I guess would be best known to us maybe as uh, the guy who did Pray for the Wildcats. He did a lot of episodics and a lot of TV movies. Oh, so in 1983, along with Summer Girl, he also directed a, a Caribbean Mystery, which I'm not familiar with. It's something called Sparkling Cyanide. He did a movie in 1984 called The City Killer, which I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it stars Heather Locklear and Terrence Knox, I think. And so, and um, oh my God, the Simon and Simon guy with the mustache. I'm totally... For Gerald McRaney. Oh, sure. Mr. Mustache, yeah. Yeah, and so... 
I think Nate would really like this movie. So it's about a guy that's so obsessed with a girl that he blows up entire buildings. To that's get, quite an obsession. <laughs> to get her attention. <laughs> and and uh, Terrence Knox's uh, performance is stunning. He's the mad... Oh, he's, they call him the Love Bomber. That's his nickname. And it's Sorry. a really, really fun movie. And they use all this stock footage. He destroys an entire town, guys. I mean, like a city. Like, he kills... He, they're not joking. He kills the city because he wants her to pay attention to him. When I wanted gals to pay attention to me, like in high school, I just kind of walked by them a lot. You should you know? have really, just like, like... Hey, you really hey. just blown up the school. But of course, I don't know now in the political climate we live in how well that would be oh, received. Yeah. Yes, It is yeah. kind of hard to watch Buildings Pancake, you know, to this day. But it's a really fun movie. So that's also Robert Michael Lewis. He also did a movie that I wanted to mention in 1981 called Computer Side. I love it. It's amazing. It looks like it was made in 1976, but it's like this 1981 <laughs> like private detective futuristic thing that's really cool. And I think it has an AKA called The Final Eye. And he also directed Fallen Angel, which I feel like Nate probably has seen. Do you remember that with um, Dana Hill about the ch the photographer that's luring people oh. to the child pornography ring? I think I've seen that Did one. I don't think I've young. seen that. Richard Masur, however you say his name, plays I vaguely remember that when I was a kid, yeah. That's a good movie. We'll, we'll do that one soon because that's a classic and it's really disturbing and good. Yeah. Um, his last uh, project was a TV movie from 1997 called The Perfect Crime. A.J. Carruthers wrote, oh, he wrote The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that might be why you know him. I only wrote down two of his other TV movies, and that's The Making of a Male Model, which just came out on DVD, guys. Um, and I meant to mention that on what? my social media with Johnny R. Hexum and Joan Collins and Tim McGill. Oh. And I think oh, um, oh. Um, Jeff Conway's in it, too. And it is... Oh. Excellente. Mm. And he also did uh, that movie Forever, which is based on the Judy Bloom novel about a girl who loses her virginity. And it stars, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. He was on Little House on the Prairie and um, Stephanie Zimbalist. So he did a lot of shit. AJ Carruthers died in 2007, though, so we can't call him up and talk to him about why he's famous to us. I just realized why I, uh, I, I remembered his name. The previous eventually Super Train episode, he wrote the Bourbon Street Beat. Oh, episode. wow. So it was because I remember I said AJ and I tried to figure out whether AJ meant a jerk or a joy. And a I joy. chose a joy, a joy because I liked the episode. Well, but yeah, he's been he's been writing since the 50s. I thought that the fact that he wrote The Secret of My Success really stood out to me because he did a lot of TV and then he did like this Michael J. Fox thing at the peak yeah. of Michael J. Fox's career. You know what I mean? I don't remember yeah. thinking that was a particularly great film, but still, I mean, that's really exciting, yeah. you know. Caroline Crane, who wrote the book that this is based on, wrote kind of facilitates herself between mysteries and young adult novels. She was from, I don't know how you say it, I think it's Croton on the Hudson. Um, and I only mention that because that's where Kathleen Bella grew up. And she actually earned a degree in drama and she worked as a model. And while she was looking for work as an actress, uh, she just kind of dove into writing. It was something she enjoyed doing. And to, she's still alive, and she's written at least 17 suspense novels. And she teaches writing. Wow. And this is the only book that's ever been adapted into any kind of filmic adaptation. So, hey, Caroline, we, good know, for you. Yeah. Good for yeah. you, Caroline. I, is, is it called It's called Summer Girl? I think so. You know, I didn't look up the, her book titles. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of... She has a website, though, and you can go on her website and check her out. So I can't really answer that question. I didn't do the best research. 
<laughs> Sometimes I don't it happens. I think folks. I gave you the ratings, did I? Let's see. Oh, I have them. I have them. Here, hold on a second. They're, it got a 17.4 slash 27.5. So that means the 17.4 million homes with televisions in them were tuned in, which represents 27.5% of the television viewing audience. It actually looked like it was the ratings winner for the night. Oh, I guess it did better than Three's Company, which is kind of surprising. Wow. Summer Girl was actually part of a newly produced telefilm season for CBS. So I guess... By 1983, the telephones were still pretty prominent, but they were kind of dying off. And it was it was a big enough deal that um, CBS was putting nine films into production that there was news articles about it. So some of the other titles that came out through CBS, through their co-productions, I think, was Rita Hayworth, The Love Goddess, September Gun, which I'm not familiar with, One Cooks, The Other One Doesn't, which I think also starts Suzanne Plachette, uh, Mother and Daughter, I don't know that one, Summer Girl, something called Night Partner, The Last of the Great Survivors, and a movie called Carpool, which I believe stars Peter Scolari. Oh, boy. So I guess you can imagine that I have seen that. I don't remember thinking about that, though. Barry Boswick did the miniseries for George Washington immediately after this. So that's a pretty interesting um, double feature, I would imagine. And I also wanted to mention that Deadly Lessons aired this year, too, which is Diane Franklin's other TV movie, um, which is the slasher TV movie. And that got a 17.6-28 rating. So I did do folks, a little research. Folks love their slashers then. So they did. We still do now. We still do now. Deadly Deadly Lessons is the closest I think the TV movie ever got to like a legit slasher. I've almost watched Fantasies. I want to watch Deadly uh, Lessons. Yeah, I'm not the hugest Deadly Lessons fans. I'm not mm. gonna lie, but I think it's worth one watch, and it's got Bill Paxton in it. It has oh, a that's... lot of famous people, and it. it has the voice of um, Bart Simpson. Oh, really? Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, and then that, that relative that moved into Too Close for Comfort with the short hair. You know that girl? Uh, that one I don't remember. Jim J. Bullock. No, no, no. It was a girl. And oh. um, and some other people who I'm forgetting. It has a... Oh, um, um, Ali Sheedy's in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it has amazing casting. Donna oh. Reed's in it. I think David Aykroyd. Is that the actor's name? The really good-looking dark hair guy. That's yeah, not really yeah. True Aykroyd. Mm. He's in it. Bill Paxton. Oh, um, and uh, Ponch. Or John, John. Oh. I'm sorry, John from Chips is in it as well. <laughs> is it just kind of bland, or is it? Uh, uh, that's what I think. But okay. you may think differently because you like some bland movies, Dan. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, I would argue that point with you, but not in this podcast. That's good. Because <laughs> we got because we got face of evil. Yeah, true, true. You just cut it out, and then I'll sound like an idiot. You'll have me say, "Well, I think," and then it'll cut to me going. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm kidding, by the way, but oh. about your bland taste. But, I mean, I think that you can watch certain slashers. I watch a lot of slashers that people are like, really, Amanda? But you even deep dive deeper than that. And so, yeah. like, so like maybe you'll see something in Deadly Lessons that I didn't. I might, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I love watch. Deadly Lessons. Oh, you, there you go. What'd you say, Nate? I said I love Deadly Lessons. Yeah, see, then you're going you're gonna to like it, Dan. So anyway, uh, that's Summer Girl, and hey. uh, we got through that pretty quick. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Let's go on to The Face of Evil. Dan? Uh, now, this is written by Gregory Good Goodsell. Goodell? Goodsell? Goodell, I and think. Goodell. Goodell. I, oh, I shouldn't have added that S. And directed by Mary Lambert. Yay! I, yay! I'm, I'm a big fan of hers, uh, the two Pet Cemetery films. Oh, she, she's yeah. fantastic. And now this one, I'm going to try to keep it simple. A lot goes on, and I'm going to try to not get lost in it. And all of it's um, sexy, except for Perry King's ponytail. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so what we get basically is we get this gal, and you know what? 
I'm lost. She has so many names. Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to call her evil, and I don't just, mean... I just I, call her Tracy Gold. I'll call her Tracy Gold, because I, 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 on the moment I thought evil, I thought it was going to become New Year's evil. Um, but, yeah, it's for Tracy Gold. Wait, are you going to blow um, your hair, Dan? I'm going to go boil your hair. I am evil. Um, are you some kind of phantom? No. Just evil. <laughs> I love how he responded to that. He goes, no. <laughs> I fucking love New Year's Evil. Oh, I wish it was a TV so movie. Good. He's so great. Yeah, and, and in New Year's Evil, one of the bo- the body that ends up in the dumpster, I believe they say it's uh, on Laurel Canyon in Ventura, which is where I used to work. Oh. So it's like every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's where the bookstore Studio City was. I used to work there. Oh, that's so um, cool. But that's that's a little New Year's Evil tangent for all you New Year's Evil fans. So what we got is Tracy Gold is evil. She's about to marry this guy who's kind of um, evil, kind of a jerk. Yeah, and um, uh, she she uh, apparently has brought this guy back into the church, and his family loves it. And she just spent five thousand dollars on rings. Oh, he just spent five thousand dollars on rings. Actually, he borrowed money from his family. And what happens is she is she's a painter. She considers herself to be an artist, and she wants to break through as an artist. But I, I guess her her guy has kind of said knock it off a bit because she's kind of rolling up all her paintings and putting them all away. That night after the wedding rehearsal, she ends up basically stealing, taking all her paintings, taking the rings, and getting the hell out of there. And she's going to New York City, and she New York City, and she's going to become a, a famous artist at the airport. Do. Yes, exactly. At the airport, she runs into a gal named Brienne, and I guess I can call. Well, I, I don't. I'm going to give it away in a moment. And Brienne is going to a school in New Hampshire. Maintenance, please dial one seven. Maintenance, please dial one seven. You would happen to have a cigarette, would you? No. You wouldn't happen to have some aspirin, would you? No. You have a headache? I miss my connection. I was supposed to be in New Hampshire by now. You know. You look like a musician. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, uh, why New Hampshire? I'm going to college. As far away from my mother as possible. Mm. Bad scene, huh? Not if you like living on a pig farm. So, uh, what kind of college are you going to? Small, but private. Expensive, I'll bet. Yeah, but I got a scholarship. I'm an artist. I'm going to New York. Those are your paintings? Mm-hmm. But uh, my next series will be much bigger. Six or eight feet wide, if I can find a decent studio to work in. Oh, that's my flight. Guess I'm finally out of here. Flight 1798 for New Hampshire. Good luck. And she plays the violin. And Tracy Gold is it chats with her a bit and, and learns what she's doing. And, oh, that, that's great. And then she goes in the bathroom and kills her. And... <laughs> takes over her identity so we mm. and so yeah yeah so it looks like yeah yeah tracy gold kills her and takes over brianne's identity arrives at the new hampshire airport and meets janelle played by the wonderful shawnee smith who always looks the same you know what what is that i've been very close to shawnee smith i've never met her but i stood next to her Uh and she is stunning she is stunning I, th- I think the first thing I saw her in was probably the Blob remake. Oh no! In '88, TV movie. She was doing her TV movies even then. 
Oh, uh, and, and and this is uh, eight years later, I believe. Yeah. And she looks exactly the same. And, and look, pretty look much in Saw, Saw 2. Yeah. yeah, she, she looks pretty much exactly. Stuffing her hands into those needles. She's just like, oh, she's adorable. And on Becker. Yeah, <laughs> good, well, good old she's Becker. She's great on Becker. She was great on Becker. She's a great character on Becker. No, no, no. Uh, so, so Janelle is her roommate, and Janelle has a very rich dad who who kind of sort of built half the the campus, including the art gallery. Which I'm going to call her Brienne now. Okay. Um, that's Tracy Gold's character because she she kind of um, absorbs in the character. Brienne loves the art gallery. And so Janelle is very nice. She's a little, I don't know if mousy is quite the word. She seems a little, just kind of a little shy. She's, yeah, um, she's introverted and she's kind of afraid of her own shadow. Yes. and and But there's some lovely act, uh, act between Tracy and Shawnee when they're kind of just meeting one another where they're like, they want to get to know each other better, but they don't want to cross any lines. And you don't want to cross any lines with Brienne. But but this kind of, it, it's, it's very lovely, uh, played very lovely. Wow. Does this stuff come with the room? No, it's mine. But you can use whatever you want. I have tons of CDs and stuff. I, I took the bed by the window because you weren't here, but if you want to flip for it, that's no, fine. No, it's okay. No problem. Okay. So, um, how far is New York? Um, about 200 miles. I have a cousin there that I'd like to visit. Oh, yeah. Is there a way that I could get down there? Um, there's a bus that you can take in town, but I don't think you'll have time till after Thanksgiving. Hmm. Oh. Now, are these your folks? That's my dad and my stepmother. Mm. That's my mom. Right there. She died when I was three. My stepmother died last year. Wow. And Dad must have a hex on him. He's had a tough time. Well, I guess we should get to orientation. Oh. Excuse me. Well, you know, why don't you go ahead, because I have to change first. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll save you a seat. Okay. It's in the, great, it's Whoa. In, it's in the history building. Okay. Okay. Just lock the door. I will. Okay. I'll see you. So what happens is Brienne arrives, and her first thought is, I'm stealing all of Janelle's stuff and getting the hell out of here and going to New York. But then she learns about all the art stuff here, and she stays. And she takes on Brienne's character, and she begins to sort of ingratiate herself into the school, and she begins to shift from orchestra, violin, which she can't play anyway, to doing the artistry. And, well, how does she uh, do it, though? In in what in what way in it, in well, um she doesn't she her first class is orchestra and she can't figure out how to get out of it. Oh yeah. Oh, how does she do that? So she opens the door to their dorm room and she sticks her pinky oh, yes. in the door <laughs> and she just basically slams her the door on her hand so that she yeah. will break her pinky and not have to perform. Yeah, yeah, she might be a little crazy. So that's she does super that. Super crazy because that's like, super it's crazy. one thing to like beat somebody up and then leave them in a suitcase. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, did you talk about the suitcase moving? So like, I was, I was, 
Oh, does that oh. not happen yet? I, f- I forget. I for for a brief moment, I forgot about the finger. There's so much stuff she does. She's constantly doing stuff. Yeah, I feel um, like I feel like it was beforehand because she hadn't even gotten I, her classes so, yet. Yeah. So, but she's back. She she when she gets out of the airport. I'm sorry, just because I love this part. Oh no! Please, when she please. when she gets out of the airplane, you're pretty sure she's just gonna take off. She's got a couple hundred dollars, right? So she's like, you know what? I'm just gonna go. And but this girl meets her at the airport, so she's kind of stuck. So she's like, all right, you know what? I'll go to your room, and you probably are rich and um, whatever she goes and she wheels she's got this luggage with her which she was probably going to leave behind oh she tries yeah, to leave she it behind. tried to yeah and she Sean Smith's to. like oh there's your baggage ticket let's go get your luggage so she's like shit so she ends up dragging this piece of luggage back to the dorm room and it starts moving mm-hmm. and so she leaves it but she has to come back for it and then she just drags it to like this ravine or something and she throws it down the ravine and there's like this really great long shot of just like it hitting all these yes. things as it goes down and then she's done she just goes yeah, back she, <laughs> she, well, well she she actually she takes it to um i forget what it's called it's not uh, is it a pylon oh. she goes to a she goes to a construction site it's yeah. like um um uh, there's that one Columbo episode with Patrick O'Neill killing Forrest Tucker, and he wants to bury him in like the pylon of a huge building. Right. Um, it's the one Peter Falk directed, but she does that. So you get this great stuff of tiny Tracy Gold hauling this suitcase, which has <laughs> has a woman larger than her in it, and like throwing it down this this this. It's amazing. Um, and it's just like she is incredible. But yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on in this, folks. And I'm trying to I'm trying to beeline yes. my way through well, it. Here's here's what all, if we if we miss things, everybody go watch it. It is chock full of awesome. Yeah, she's doing her thing, and she's uh, having she's making friends with some that may be questionable people. She she's in a psych class where she she completely does her own thing on a psych paper, and. She writes this story. Oh, it's a poem, I guess, about this gal who like commits all sort of atrocities and her family and things like that. And it's like, hmm, could that be autobiographical? And she does things like sort of very much like Cindy in the in the last movie, like the the best gal in the class. She steals her notes and all her stuff for a paper she's doing. So she can't do the paper. So the gal gets an F. And, and she kind of does stuff like that. And then she starts to get a little more hardcore. On it, there's a guidance counselor who uh, so Bri- Brianne, Brianne apparently met during the summer, and she says, "Well, you, you need to you, if you want to change your stuff or whatever, you need to meet with the guidance counselor. You should know her. Yeah, she met with you this summer. You meet with her tomorrow. The um, guidance counselor has. I, I don't think this is spoiling anything because this no. is early on. The guidance counselor has is an eye dropping kind of gal. She has very dry eyes. So what does uh, Brienne, our sweet Tracy Gold, do? She puts, I, I believe, acid yes. of some variety in the eye drops, and it's just like she's sitting outside, and you just hear what? And it's just like, oh god, so and, and good. It's my favorite part of the movie. So like, oh. I I run with with a group but there's one girl that i run with in particular we run at the same pace and i told her we were going to cover this movie and she was like is that the one where tracy gold puts acid in somebody's eye drops and i was like yes and she goes i love that movie <laughs> <laughs> and, and so she does that and it gets rid of the guidance counselor and then soon after that we meet janelle's dad and i just wrote down dad i don't have his name dad looks sort of like one of the lead guys from fatal frames a slasher yes, from around the same time. he does. Time. He does. Look, he looks like Rick Giannassi. You're right. Yeah, exactly. That, there's a scene in Fatal Frames where, like, the main guy and another guy are, like, in an airport. And you're just, like, these two buff guys with this huge hair and, like, the long 
long hair and the ponytails. This is how dad looks. And the moment Brienne meets dad, the vixen part starts to kick in and she starts to ingratiate herself in because Janelle's, well, Janelle's mom died and then he got remarried and she died. I think I'm getting that right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah you're right. And so she recently died, the second mom, uh, not the second mom, the, the second mom. wife. Yes. And and so Janelle is, um, and so the dad isn't doing so great, but he's super rich and has a mansion. So if you're going to, if you're going to not be doing so great, it's That's, better you're in a mansion good. than like in a hovel. I yeah. do, I do want to mention something just real quick is that, oh, yeah. is that I really like that he comes in kind of later and yes. that they spend a good chunk of time just with Tracy Gold on campus with people her age, just kind of like trying to survive as this fake student it's so well developed in a way that and it's different right because like in summer girl in 10 minutes gavin's like in the car and she's been found out and we know what's going to happen but here it's almost he's almost like a twist yes yeah yeah and it's great too because there are several moments where if if you hadn't seen her doing horrible things there's several like montages of people like rollerblading and just hanging out and walking around and wait a minute it's not a Girl only campus is it? It's no, did I it's say not. that earlier? No, no it's not. I'm sorry, everyone. For some reason, I thought it was. I don't think it I is always, anyway. I don't think so because the guy roll. There's a guy rollerblading okay. in a montage, um, and so you get you get moments like that where like the music is playing, like we're all having a good time, and and she's just there and she's she's drawing and she she well she's painting and she's she's very convinced that she's a super artist. Well, she is. And she could be. She could be. Yeah. The she, art, she definitely does. Whoever did the stuff. art for this film did. A, I should have looked up art direction, but like. They did a really good job. I thought some of the paintings were really amazing, especially that one with the box. Yes, the gal. Yeah, and the dad says something like, uh, "A woman bent up or stuffed into a box." Where did you come up with that? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I've 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 seen the earlier part of the movie. You weren't in, Dad. I know what's going on. It, it, eventually, it's oh, let's all go to Janelle's house for Thanksgiving, and a bunch of gals come around, and and slowly but surely, Brienne begins to sort of put her moves onto the dad. Slowly but surely, but as it goes along, and I'll I'll wrap it up shortly. But she is trying to sort of ingratiate herself into. Janelle's life, which is kind of a life she kind of intimates that she never had. And she's kind of trying to push herself to that life, all the while committing all sorts of horrible atrocities and things like that. And eventually Janelle sort of begins to twig to what's going on. And she really does the day when she says, more or less, like, I'm going to have dinner with my dad tonight. And Brienne says, oh, great. And she shows up with pizzas and has put like rat poison in Janelle's <laughs> pizza. And so Janelle gets sick and Brienne goes out with the dad. So Linton College is just a stop for me. You know, a chance for me to build my portfolio on my way to New York. <laughs> You're so sure of yourself. My first wife was like that. Janelle's mom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Janelle is nothing like her mother. She's much more like me. I guess that's why we have such a hard time. Uh-uh. <sighs> no way are you as insecure as Janelle. Where do you come from? I mean, what, did you spring from Zeus's head fully formed? I mean, you have to be somebody's little girl. I don't belong to anyone. I blew off my parents a long, long time ago. And I plan to never see them again. I am not a little girl like Janelle. You're right, you're not, I agree. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to patronize you. I just meant that I have long-range plans. My parents just didn't understand it. 
And you can't set limits on yourself when you're an artist. You know? Maybe after dinner you could show me your paintings. I'd love and Janelle, looking like death warmed over, but still cute in like a hoodie kind of thing, watches her and her dad have like dinner and then hang out at the art gallery. And the dad is like, I'm going to get you a showing somewhere. And, and Brianne's career begins to sort of start as an artist as Janelle is sort of seeing what she's doing with her dad. And it builds and I'll, I'll kind of stop there. But uh, you can see the Vixeny stuff begins later in the movie, but it's there. So I'll, I'll stop there. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this one. There's so much stuff. This is like an amazing film. I'm so glad we finally got to watch it. It's one of those movies that like I think I just caught on Lifetime in like the early 2000s. And then I was like, oh, my God, I would give anything to be able to watch The Face of Evil right now. Like, how many times have I said that to myself? <laughs> I don't know. A ton. So, and now I have a copy of it, so that helped. Nate, you said you'd never seen this before, right? Right. And? Um, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, I mean, again, like, these kind of movies are the kind of movies I love. And I thought this one was just, especially, like, there are scenes that I thought just played very campy. And it was just so entertaining. Um, I, I don't know. I just I thought that uh, the dad in this movie was in not very bright <laughs> on the uptake here. Right. Maybe so, so much so that at the end, and this is kind of spoilerish, but when uh, there's the big battle at the end, and he rushes in and sees that they've basically been fighting, I, I half thought for a little bit that he was going to believe uh, Brienne. Yeah. Um, you know, and she was like, oh, you know, she attacked me. She ruined my painting. I thought it was fun watching them getting their little fight and, and, and destroying the painting and that's stuff. That's a great, was actually, it was that's a great a, moment. Yeah, great cat fight. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I have not seen Tracy Gold play a character like this, so it's very interesting. I just always think of her from Growing Pains. Sure, yeah. Sure. Carol um, Yep. And so it was just a lot of fun. I love watching people that I only know from certain roles playing like something totally different. Yeah. And of course, here she's playing a complete psychopath. Um, maybe she and Cindy would have gotten along really well. Oh my God, they, they, they would have exploded. Yes, it's true. There would have been too much psychotic for one room. Yes, way too much. <laughs> but yeah, like I loved the scenes, especially like with the door when she slams her finger in the door. And Shawnee Smith, like, just screams when she does it. Yes. <laughs> I can understand. But, no, I mean, it's a it's it's a very entertaining movie. There's not any dull moments in this film, I don't think. Um, I thought it was just entertaining from beginning all the way to the end. And I actually thought that there's a scene uh, towards the end. And this is also kind of spoiler-ish. I'm sorry. There's the scene towards the end that I actually thought was really like well done and very creepy when they find out that basically Brienne, quote-unquote, has been doing this over and over. And yes. when Shawnee Smith asks her at the end, who are you? And she just kind of whispers to her, well, I was almost you. And I thought, oh, that was a really good moment. You know, that's so very creepy, chilling. though, because she slept with Perry King. So when she says, I was almost you, I mean, what is she saying? Oh, think about it. There's some crazy psychology going on there, Amanda. <laughs> Something going on. Well, it's yes. more disturbing. Like, does she just think that, well, that would, yeah. I mean, like, does she think daughters and dads have sex? Oh, is that, yeah. And is, is that, that part of the problem? 
wherever she she began or she was originally. Oh, yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Like it has a layer there that's like, whoa, what did she just say? That's a, that's another double feature for this show, I think. <laughs> Maybe not it's a half. For Freud. It's for Freud. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'm really glad you picked it. I had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, I thought you might like it, Dan. You know me in '90s uh, TV movies. You love them. I, I yeah I, I actually I've enjoyed the one we've watched I no, liked we've watched two, didn't I we watched two Tori Spelling movies you liked them both oh I think I liked them both I think the thing I love about this movie is that I I think the uh, the critical term is batshit yeah I just think I just think this this film drops you uh, unlike the previous one which there are sort of gaps which I feel the novel may have filled in this one I don't think anything could fill it in it's just you have this character dropped in. And the first scene is like her sitting there kind of trying to feeding a little oh, bird yeah, so as, good. as this cat is poised to jump on it. And and then the bird takes off and the cat jumps and a little girl comes by and says, you know, what was it? Uh, didn't you see the cat? And she says, what do you think I was feeding? And you're like, oh, there you go. And this, to, not to not to go off on a tangent, but this movie begins more or less with a shot of a black cat. And when I see a shot of a black cat in a TV movie, I think, don't be afraid of the dark. Oh. Which starts with a black cat, doesn't yes. it? Am I crazy? Yes, yes. You're, you're right. Uh, I just think, okay, th- this was, again, sometimes I have to stop myself from watching these movies a second time. Because I got to the end of this first one, and I was just, I stood up, walked over to my wife, and I said, that was fantastic. I mean, it's so nutty. It's so continually nutty, and she keeps upping the ante and changing the stakes and going over here and going over there. And then in the end, you're like, how many of these – how many times has she done this, taken on someone else's identity? And how? And the ending scene is like, oh, she's about to do it again. Well, she's about to possibly break out and do it again, and it's just so – it was so crazy. Now, the second time I watched it. They save the seduction scene for literally like 10 to 15 minutes yeah. before the end, which I liked the first time I watched it. But the second time I thought, well, there's a moment where basically the school calls her out and says, you're not Brianne. Oh, that's right. Leave. Leave. But the dad is like, I invited her in the home. I'm going to let her live with me, you know, because she did some bad things. But I, really, um, you think? it's kind of like the second time through the last 15 minutes or so, which is in the, as much as I love the cat fight and, and the very end was sort of like, it felt like it was maybe going on a little too much. However, the first time I watched it, I loved it. I really, it's so nuts. She's so crazy. She's constantly doing this. It's like, she, you know, uh, she arrives at, at, like I said, she arrives at the dorm room. The first thing she says is, okay, Janelle, you go to, um, uh, you know, uh, orientation. I'll be right there. She steals all of Janelle's like jewelry and everything. Goes to the orientation just for a, like just passing through. Learns about the art gallery. Immediately rushes back to the room and puts all the jewelry back. You know, and it's it's there's. The, I love the fact that she's constantly like she's she's crazy as a you know bag of wet rats. But she I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, but uh, but but she's constantly like up up. Uh, changing uh, up up in the ante, uh, changing what she's doing, moving this, moving that, and I, I really thought she was very good in it. Shawnee Smith is very good in it, and and I think Mary Lambert's direction is excellent. And I think you you have to take don't expect there's no subtlety, 
There's no, uh, well, maybe here and there, but mostly there's no subtlety. There's no sort of explanation. I mean, I would love to think that if you traced her back, now I know like the FBI or something shows up in the end and kind of has some information. I'd like to think that's a lie. I'd like to think you could trace her back to the dawn of time. (laughs) And she's been this evil force that has just been doing this all across the earth. And now she happens to look like Tracy Gold. You know, in another universe, she would look like Kirk Cameron or something. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe she does. Um, but, that is the true face uh, of evil, just so you know. Possibly, but I, I love the concept that she she may be immortal and just like doing all this crazy, and it's just she's this evil force who she comes into these families, she destroys them, she kills, and then she goes on to another spot, and you can't pin her down because she's changing and she's morphing and all this kind of thing. So. I could be reading more into it than anyone ever put into the movie. But I, I just think you're not going to go wrong with 90 minutes of, of Face of Evil, I think. I don't think you sense. are. I think this movie's fantastic. I think this is like one of those perfect, like, I need to escape movies. Like, mm. I've had a really shitty day at work. And I just need to have a glass of wine and watch something really fun. And mm. this is the movie I'm going to watch over and over again. I've loved this movie for so long. And I just saw it on a whim one day. I think it has a pretty good cult reputation, though. It's one of those movies that came out of the 90s that people really look back fondly on. It's just so, I don't know, I want to say balls to the wall. Like, I never use that yes, phrase, yes. but it's just balls to the wall insanity. I don't want to say that it's super self-aware or anything, but it, it knows. I think Mary Lambert knows what it is. And I think it's about having fun. And so mm-hmm. all of the actors seem like they're kind of like, with the exception of Perry King, but I think Perry King's supposed to be sort of this dopey down guy. But like, it feels like there's just this level of energy that the actors bring to it because they kind of understand how insane the film is. And the only way it's going to stay in some kind of realm of believability is if they make it fun and they don't yeah. take it too seriously, especially Tracy Gold. But I will say, I think Tracy Gold's a revelation in this. I don't know that I've seen her in anything quite like this before or after this film I, can't, I couldn't remember a title that might be similar um, and that's unfortunate because it's obvious that she's really good at this really good at it but I also think Shawnee Smith is excellent yeah excellent because she's got all these really great reactions to Tracy Gold like she knows, she can tell early on something's not right and something's going on with her dad and like and like just these expressions she makes while she's talking are like really good and I can't I can't explain them properly but like if you've seen the movie you'll know what I mean but it's like she's saying one like her mouth is saying one thing but her eyes are saying something else but she doesn't have the guts to confront anybody about it yeah. and so there's there's like this sort of inner monologue that's constantly going on in her head and you can kind of see it happening in the mm-hmm. film and it's really just so well done she's such a good actress anyway but like I just feel like as good as Tracy Gold is um, Shawnee Smith is good in a really under the radar way and so I just kind of wanted to call that out. I just think it's a fantastic performance. And it, they're just great. And what's hilarious is I'm a huge Perry King fan. I'm a huge Perry King fan. But, like, his character in this, you just want to, like, slap him across the face and, like, wake <laughs> up. But, like, when he shows up with the ponytail, come on. <laughs> Not even Perry King can pull that off. Not even <laughs> Perry King. And it's hilarious. And you know who he reminds me of? I don't know if you guys watch Kids in the Hall. But do you remember? Sure. Do you remember Darrell? Oh, yeah, Darryl, yeah. Doesn't he yeah. remind you of Darrell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy with the ponytail was, like, painted and whatever. Yeah. And he was oblivious to, like, how annoying he was to people. 
And I feel like I feel like Perry King's character is is walking in Darrell's shoes. If if <laughs> Darrell was, I guess, Perry King. And what I love when he's so easily like smitten with her because she's like, "You have this perfect Roman nose," and he's oh, totally yeah. into it. He's like, "Oh, I do." Mm-hmm. Well, of course you do. You're Perry King. I mean, everything about you is perfection. Um, but like, he just feeds into it so quickly. Yeah. That, like you know, and I do agree that he's kind of an idiot. I think the men in these movies are are idiots. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. You know, no, I it's, mean, it's um, time. I, yeah, exactly. It's time that that happened. I, but but they're frustrating too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, he he, well, both of them take a long time to. Well, no, he isn't in it as long. I'm I'm trying to think. There's something slightly different about. Uh, well, there's something very different about the Perry King as opposed to the Barry Boswick because his wife is dead presumably if she's in college well she could I, I, she's 18 or 19 I believe, so i believe it's the not character's like older though i believe that she's been around for a little bit longer yes and i think she's four thousand years old yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think she's 24 yeah okay yeah i i would i yeah definitely definitely yeah. <laughs> but i mean in a way i mean so he's he's not doing anything wrong he's single mm-hmm. you know what i mean but it almost feels more organic i think with gavin because it builds mm. up to something that feels more real. Yeah. Whereas with Tracy Gold, it's like he she's really pushing it. Yeah, and, and, and he's buying it. And and two part of it is for for quite a bit of the time he does seem kind of smitten with her, but he does sort of seem like, yeah, you tell me about my Roman nose and and shave my ponytail off, but really I I would like to help you. And you think for a while or I maybe I just I'm deluding myself, but I thought for a bit that it was like he really is like he really is thinking that you know he really is like I'd like to help this young artist, but I then she goes too. she goes she goes after him full tilt and he's like, hey I you know these trousers don't lie Tracy Gold uh, you know she's cute she she's not Diane Franklin but, but I, I think I, it's I think it's the artist in her and the animal she's so animalistic I think she's very yeah. sexy in the film in a weird way and like compelling way right mm-hmm. and not obvious and like there's that scene where she's painting and he's yes. watching her she's covered in all these different paints and so what yeah. he's looking at is Tracy Gold and she's adorable I will never t- say otherwise but also there's something really sexy about the way she loses the character loses herself in the art and how serious yes. she is about it and like so he's I get it I get it but I also think at the same time it's his daughter's roommate and yeah. that he should have better control over th- things like that with girls like that um, mm-hmm. just because of their situation you know and so that makes it frustrating in that way but it's more that it's just it's so obvious that she's feeding him exactly mm-hmm. what he wants to hear and he, either he doesn't give a shit or he's just stupid and so he, he i mean his his second wife did just die so there could be um she just she did the same thing because her big thing was spending his money they talked about mm-hmm. that and i feel mm-hmm. like after his first wife maybe it just he had to like have a woman maybe in his life mm-hmm. they don't really possibly yeah. on it but if this was the perry king's version of the story it's probably that he just needed a woman in the house. And then it gets yeah. all kinds of poison ivy, too, when she tries to subsume the life. Like, I felt like there was a definite competition there. Mm-hmm. Like, you see yeah. poison ivy. But it, I think yeah. is it might be post... It's post poison ivy by, like, two or three I, years. I think, I think, yeah, 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 like yeah. three years, yeah, I believe. It's just, like, a different version of it. So she's not as overtly sexual as somebody like Drew Barrymore. But mm-hmm. I think she has... I think Tracy Gold channels a quality 
that's compelling and in a way not sexier but more interesting to me not that not that poison ivy is not a fantastic film but mm-hmm. and it's sexy in all different kinds of ways really unexpected ways like their friendship is very homoerotic the two girls and it's mm-hmm. its own thing but there's something i guess compelling in a different way about tracy mm-hmm. gold that i bought in terms of Perry King being attracted to her, but him taking yeah. it to the next level was the part that I had a hard time with. I, I think I think like when you see anyone uh, with their passion and doing it and and, and um, doing being, it being good to do it, yeah, exactly, <laughs> being good at it, you that's that's uh, sexy in in well, a in a way. There's yeah. also that stereotype that she's feeding into too, like this artist is like is like at their core like just sex. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like there's this thing about like, does, female artists. Yeah, she does that like was huge in the 90s that they like if you watch the rich who diaries or something i'm sure they had a female artist who had these like sort of really basic primal like qualities to them that like made them seem like they would just be like animals in bed because Mm -hmm. they were just so passionate they understood art and emotion and like they felt everything you know those girls i was that girl oh sure i just say that I think you just said that. I wasn't that, that girl, yeah. but I, 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 but I, I like that girl. I always like that girl. But um, but you know what I mean. There's a stereotype. Now, why weren't you that girl? You because I wasn't be. an artist. Oh well, you're. you're I would you're just walk right. up to guys at the bookstore I worked at and say, "Hey, I'm like an animal in bed. Take your chance." And they, you know, they'd have to. They get a split second. Yeah, they. And they, they have to like, thumbs they, up, thumbs down. She so passionately shelves those CDs <laughs> that I, I have to believe that there's a primal instinct there. Well, I, I know, I think I've told you before, when I worked for two years at Bookstar Studio City, the two aisles I was in charge of were the computer books, although I knew nothing about computers, and romance novels. I had those too. Yeah, I used to get, I used to get, have more interesting conversations with the women in the romance novel aisles than, um, and we used to discuss Fabio novels too, sure. and when I think of Fabio, I think of, um, you know, the dad. Yes, actually, here. yeah, that's interesting. Well, he's definitely like it's interesting. Perry King has so many romantic hero qualities, but like in this movie, he is really kind of a crashing bore. I think that's what his da- own daughter called him. Yeah, and uh, our colossal I... bore. She said, "I say crashing bore from Blood Diner." Same thing. And oh, um, <laughs> when he says this party's a crashing bore, but he's um, bo- boring, boringly wealthy. Is that something? No, he's ridiculously he... wealthy, but he has like he he's kind of a shell of a man. And I think that's yeah. where Shawnee Smith gets her character from. Like mm. she's kind of they do say pair. that, yeah, and yeah, and they... so she has to grow a pair basically as mm. the film progresses, the pair that he refuses to have and yes. and take over, um, which is really interesting, actually, yeah, this movie's fantastic, it's just it's the best, it's the best i I don't know what else to say about it, except that it's one of my favorites, I don't know if it's in my top ten, but it's probably really close. It's a movie I hold very close to my heart, I think it's one I could watch over and over again, and while I was watching it this time, I spent a lot of like. Um, tapping my feet on the floor, like, oh, this is the part, this is the part. You know what I mean? Because I just, I like keep waiting for like the eye drop scene or like the finger sure. in the door scene. And every time it gets there, I'm never disappointed. It was a great time. I, I definitely, I, I was wary of it when you said we were going to talk about this. I thought, uh-oh, I don't know about this one. But it just, like I said, it's, it's, it's batshit and it just dives right in and everyone's having a good time. And it just, and it keeps it going. It keeps going until the like the freeze frame it just keeps going it keeps doing stuff which is great yeah yeah it's got a lot of energy to it did did anybody want to add we're going to this really fast it's almost scary yeah did uh did anybody want to add anything did you see who the production designer was yeah it was um alfred soul <laughs> alfred soul yay yay that was really um, cool that surprised me when i saw that I will say one of the the sort of plot lines that runs through it is the thing with the jilted fiance 
that's as that was an interesting plot line because it's um uh, spoiler she kills him it's, it's kind of an interesting it's it's not quite like a stepfather kind of thing with like the cop who spends the whole oh, movie yeah, yeah. and then and then gets killed spoiler sorry everyone it's stepfather it was years ago you should have seen it that's kind of an interesting sort of plot line it's not quite like terra 10 killer with um i forget the uh, nate what's the guy's name in terra 10 killer who comes after the gal we need to talk do you remember his name oh my goodness i don't because i always think of tor yeah. yeah, of course. But it's yeah. not Tor. But but it's, it's it sort of does it's sort of a Terra Ten killer type thing where uh, she goes away and he comes after her and then well, Tor kills the guy in Terra Ten killer and she kills the guy here. It's maybe, so maybe it's not quite the same at all. But uh, I just thought of that. But uh, that that's kind of an interesting plot line that goes through it because it kind of at the point where Brienne has decided to kill Janelle. Right when it looks like it's about to happen, suddenly this guy reappears, and and suddenly it's like great because it's going one way and you think it's going there, and suddenly the plot like skews off into another direction for a while, and then just the the moment where the dean calls Brienne into her office, oh, she yeah. steps in and she's like, oh hello dean, well she doesn't say hello dean, but you know she says hello, and there's another woman in there and she kind of looks over at her, and the dean's like, well don't you have anything to say to her? You know, and, and and Brienne looks at this woman, and the woman just says, "That's not my daughter." And then you realize it's Brienne's mom, and it's a and and it's great because Brienne's mom, like uh, Tracy Gold, pours on the waterworks oh, so and everything. Good. So good. And it's so good because because Brienne's mom is just like, "Nope, nope, not having she, it." She she was trying to run away. She was pregnant. I, I, I will say, I will say that if you want to see Tracy Gold do that, she does that a lot as the movie goes along. I, I enjoyed it, but I think there may have been one too many of those, possibly. But but I enjoyed it, anyways. It's the best. Um, it's the best. And, and can I just uh, – well, I'll just say one more thing. The closing sequence, I don't, I don't fully want to spoil it. I don't think we have. I think um, we but have. The oh, okay, we have. Okay, well, well, she gets arrested. So she's in the car, and she's got the handcuffs on. I think the FBI are there and everything like that. And she's, like, in a car with a guy – who's driving her to wherever. And it's just this weird scene where it's like, well, I don't know what to do. It's that they did this and that and that. And well, um, uh, you, you know, it's going to be all right. Calm down. Well, do you think I'll go to jail or whatever? Well, if they don't have any physical evidence, you, you'll be scot-free. And she gets a look on her face like, oh, oh do I really have to have these handcuffs? Yeah. Don't worry. Once once we're off campus, I'll take them off you. Yeah. I thought, who is this guy? Is he like a temp? Like, do, do the FBI hire temps? Who is this guy? I love you know, it, he's though. Like, because I feel like I feel like everybody underestimates her. Yes, and that that was the, that's the point of the scene. But it's also like to me, it's like okay, some she's clearly done some crazy stuff. It's it's Dan, it's, it's like, Dan, what? Men, men are idiots. Didn't we learn that watching I, these two films? I, I guess that's what it is. But that's that's just like this weird moment where that was almost one moment too far for me because it was like now if you're like an FBI agent or something, yeah, you know, like no, Fox no, Mulder, Fox Mulder isn't going to let. No, 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 someone... no. It was exciting because I thought there's going to be a face of evil, too. I, I, I can sort of see that. Yeah, because because you can see on her face she's going to do everything she can to just get him to take these handcuffs off. The moment he does, she's going to leap up, choke the hell out of him. The car's going to crash, explode, and she's going to step out of the flames completely unharmed yep. and do this again. Yep. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to be and, excellent. And, 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 and uh, Shawnee Smith's going to hear about it? 
Yes. And she's going to try to follow her from school to school, catching her. And she and she's going to become a drug addict and end up inside a house with a bunch of people. And she's going to have to reach into that. But then, but then this guy named Becker, played by Ted Danson, saves her. Saves her. Oh, gosh. But this is after her and Matt Dillon's brother fight the blob. Kevin Dillon? Yes. Who has a name. Oh, my, I forgot his name. It's Kevin Dillon. That is Kevin Dillon, yes. All right. Which I is love Kevin Dillon, mullet. yeah. I don't yeah. love the mullet, but I love Kevin Dillon. He's great. Yes. So I think I think that's all I have on this. It's a... It's a Folks, if you want to just watch a balls balls to the wall, bad shit, crazy TV movie, this one takes no prisoners. It dives right in, says nothing, just does it, and it's so much fun. That's so good, um, Nate. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think that sums it up for me as well. <laughs> you think it's bad shit and awesome? Um, yes. So okay, so I'll just do my background. Face of Evil aired on CBS on April 9th, nineteen ninety six. It was on the same week as, oh, The Last Chance, which is a Kelly Martin TV movie. And I only bring that up because Tracy Gold and Kelly Martin were kind of the two of the queens of the TV movie, the 90s. There's a whole bunch of queens of TV movies from the 90s that were so different from the ones from the 70s. But Kelly Martin and Tracy Gold were definitely two of them. I read that Perry King was on Melrose Place at this time, but I don't remember him on Melrose Place. Do you, Nate? I can't think of who he could be on there. Yeah, I don't either. And I didn't look it up. I just saw that he was doing Melrose Place. This ran against on NBC Frasier, the John Larroquette show, which was excellent, by the way, and Dateline. Fox, so now we have Fox as a network, too. So on Fox, they ran the theatrical film The Good Son with uh, Macaulay Culkin. So we got two crazies, right? Oh, wow. Two bad seeds. And Mm -hmm. on ABC, it was Home Improvement, The Dana Carvey Show, and something called Turning Point. I like The Dana Carvey Show. I, I don't know Turning Point. Yeah, I don't either. It scored a 10.6, which was good ratings in the 90s. It actually came in number 22 for the week. Um, her last chance, though, did much better. It got a 13.6 slash 13, and it came in at number 9. Phase of Evil ran under the, C- the CBS moniker, the CBS Tuesday movie. As we mentioned earlier, it was directed by Mary Lambert, who you probably know best from Pet Cemetery, but she also directed a shitload of Madonna videos, including Borderline and Like a Prayer. She did, in 1997... A movie with one of the best titles ever, but it's not quite as good as The Face of Evil. She directed My Stepson, My Lover. The hell? Yeah, which I watched just not too long ago. I thought it was okay. It has a crazy ending, though, guys. Oh, I could not believe the ending. Oh, my God. But it stars Nick from Young and the Restless. I can't remember the actor's name. Or Josh Morrow. And uh-huh. um, I think Rachel Ward. And Wow. Yeah, he is her stepson and also her lover. There's no oh, line is in the title. It? Wow. Is it, is it a crazy, like, the baby-style crazy ending? Or no, is no, it, no, uh, no. Well, it's, yeah, you know, in a way it is. It's Twisty, kind of, twisty turn. It's like a weird movie because it does stuff and it's it's okay, you know. It's not a bad movie, but I, I'm not in love with it. But then something happens to one of the characters and you're like, did they really end it like that? And you can't wow. believe. And I, nobody dies or anything. But, like, you're like, really? And... It blew my mind that they, that ending uh-huh. ended up in the movie. But anyway, so it's probably worth it just to see the end. She also did something in 1996 called Love is Strange, which I looked up, but there's no, it says it's a TV movie, but there's no cast or writer's credits for it. But I read somewhere online that it won a GLAAD award. Oh. Wow. So who knows what it is. But anyway, she did that the same year. Gregory Godel, who is the screenwriter, was almost written only TVMs, uh, t- uh, TV movies, I'm sorry. I hand-wrote this out, and so I'm having a hard time reading my own hand. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the last film he did was called Something of Terror? A View of Terror. <laughs> 
It's Hugh <laughs> Terror with Shannon Doherty. It's a really fun movie where she has a pet parrot. And she lives in this really tall, like, high-rise building, and somebody's watching her across the way. And I think the way she, like, finally steps up for herself is somebody kidnaps her parrot. Oh. And she's like, you're joking, right? We should have teamed that up with that Pam Dauber film where someone's watching. They were oh, watching. Yeah, that What's that one? Good. Yeah. Um, David um, Soul. Through Naked uh, Eyes. Through Naked Eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a good double. Um, also, Gregory Godel wrote one of my favorite late-entry TV movies, which is Grave Secrets, The Legacy of Hilltop Drive with Patty Duke, which I know Nate's seen. You remember that movie, Nate? Yes, I like that movie a lot. So good. It's so good. Um, a lot of his TV movies are very female-centric. I just wanted to make a note of that. So, of course, we know Tracy Gold was a child actress, most famous for Growing Pains. Of course, her sister was Missy Gold, who was on Benson, who you probably remember if you're old enough to have watched that. Her father actually ran a talent agency. Her second on-screen kiss was actually with Brad Pitt. Do you remember when Brad Pitt was on Growing Pains? No, I wish I did. I remember. I watched that show. I, watched that show. I remember when he was on Dallas. I remember when he was on Growing Pains because um, he's at her high school and she's got her locker door open and he leans next to it and he's got that same famous pose as uh, James Dean from Rebel Without a Cause and he's next to a pinup in her locker of James Dean striking the same pose. Wow. And I was like, what am I looking at, guys? And so when the credits (laughs) came on, I looked for his name in the credits and I wrote Brad Pitt down on a piece of paper. And you still have that piece of paper. I probably do, but I wanted to remember him. So, you guys, the piece of trivia, did you know I met Brad Pitt? No. I did. <laughs> Let's tear it. Okay, it was not a very good story, but I used to work at this record store in Las Vegas. And, you know, Brad Pitt apparently was, like, really into Vegas. And he'd only done at that point, like, Cutting Class and um, Across the Tracks, which is a movie with Ricky Schroeder. And maybe, like, something else on some TV. He came in, I think, maybe with Jill Sholin, because I think they were dating at the time. But I didn't, I don't remember seeing her. And But they were dating, and I think he took her to Vegas a lot. My friend Paul was getting ready to ring him up at the register, and I literally pushed him out of the way to ring him up because I recognized him from cutting class. And he was buying a Harry Connick Jr. CD, and I was like, oh, this is a really good record. And we just talked about Harry Connick Jr. for like 30 seconds, and he was very nice, and he was like a painting. He was like a little angel fell out of the sky and landed in front of me. It was like the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen standing right before me, and I couldn't believe it was Brad Pitt. And he was very nice. That's great. I mean, you, you say that after we just talked Barry Boswick for a while. You want to... Yeah, I never rung up Barry Boswick, so he's never stood before me like an angel. <laughs> but, no, you met everyone. I will tell you, though, if, if I have to choose a lap to sit on, Barry. <laughs> All the way. Yeah. I mean, I just want to clarify. I really want to sit on his lap. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. like I thought about it. <laughs> I, feel like he has a, he, I feel like he has a welcoming lap. I have a feeling he does, Dan. Mm-hmm. Just call me crazy. Call it nice. a, call it women's intu- intuition, but I feel like that laugh is pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, I've never met Barry Boswick, and it's probably the, for the best that I haven't, is what I'm saying. Anyway, where was I? So she kissed Brad Pitt. She actually started a movie called Arachnoquake, and I who knows how good that is, but I just wanted to tell everybody she's in a movie called Arachnoquake. <laughs> <laughs> is that a more recent like sci-fi? <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of? yeah. Um, her last movie was something called All Hallows Eve, which is a family movie, like Halloween film. This movie was actually filmed in Salt Lake, even though none of it takes place in Salt Lake. The film takes place in New York, New Hampshire, and Chicago, but they shot it all um, at the University of Utah and the surrounding areas. And of course, the production design is by Alfred Soule, who is yes. currently still working as a production designer, and he's working on the new MacGyver, which is airing on CBS. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, he actually also did the production design of the new Melrose Place pilot which is actually really good. And he did the production design on Wishmaster 2. 
<laughs> nice. Which is a movie nice. that I love. I wish I wish he directed more movies. I wish he did I, too, I like but I'm glad he's still yeah. working and making a living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scott D. Pierce of the Desert News for the Salt Lake City paper said that he thought Gold played against type and he was really fascinated by her performance. Variety thought the film looked sleek but was too improbable. Oh, oh, did you know Mary Lambert's sister is a um, senator? No, I didn't. Yeah, she did is. She sh- in Arkansas. They did. They did. They do a in a, a, they do a pet cemetery two screening every year in the Senate. They might. They, well, you know. So here's a really interesting story. Did you know that Bill Clinton had a copy of Pumpkinhead two on Air Force One? I did not. Blood okay. wings. Yes, because you know who's in Pumpkinhead two, right? I don't remember at the moment. Ernest Borgnine. No, Bubba Clinton. Oh yeah, that's so right. So the story goes that he gave Bill a copy of the movie. And Bill kept mm. it on Air Force One. That's cool. Yeah, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so I think that's it for our feedback. And, uh, not our feedback, I'm sorry, our background. So I think, mm. Nate, you can stay for the feedback, right? Because I just have two pieces. Oh, okay. If you just got two, then yeah. Our first piece of feedback comes from Jack DVD 78 um, hey, He Jack. writes Jack DVD 78 with some feedback. Birds and jellyfish. No animal or person is safe. Finally seeing Summer, Summer Girl. Finally seeing Summer Girl was worth it. Diane Franklin's Cindy is so desperate for work. I guess she wants to babysit some kids. I'd pass on that. Trouble starts when Barry Boswick starts parading around the beach, shorts bulging, just asking for trouble. Right? Of course, it's all Cindy's fault that she's tempted by this older man. I like how he puts it on Barry Boswick's shoulders because he just happens to be <laughs> packing a load. Um, poor Kim Darby as mom is now expecting her third child who is now expecting her third child believes she needs help taking care of them the kids really aren't that much trouble I can see if she felt the kids were out of hand or couldn't be controlled oh we forgot to mention love that Hunt, Hunt Block shows up as the former lover of Cinny I thought oh my god that's Ben Warren from Guiding Light from back in the day by the way Hunt Block I know best from One Life to Live and I'm totally forgetting his character's name but he played he took over as police commissioner and he was really bad at it but one day he was interrogating this guy and he called him a fuzzy son of a bitch. <laughs> and I just fell in love with him. Sure. I just couldn't get enough of Hunt Block after that. So he's in a TV movie that we're going to cover eventually called Secret Weapons with Linda Hamilton and Gina Davis. Oh. Jack DVD 78 hasn't seen it. I think he'll really like it because there's tons of gratuitous Hunt Block in it. <laughs> and that's important. So on to the wonderful Tracy Gold as the face of evil. I just have to say I absolutely loved every minute of this ridiculously crazy start to this movie. It's really what makes this one so good. I'm just going to call her Tracy Gold because at the end we really don't know who she really is. At the start Tracy is really is ready to marry but bolts to the airport with wedding rings to hawk. Turns out she didn't plan her getaway well. She's a bit short on cash for the plane ticket. Luckily Gold thinks fast and you have to admire her ambition. She ends up killing a girl at the airport who is heading off to college. I swear I thought Tracy stuffed her body in the trash can at the airport. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Nope, mm-hmm. she has her in the luggage dragging her around the airport and all the way to college. It's awesome. I'm sure you guys will cover, cover trivia about the film's uh, production designer, the Alfred Soul. I don't think we mentioned that he actually directed Alice Sweet Alice. And, mm. No, we didn't say the, the name. And Pandemonium. And Tanya Island, right? Oh, did he do Tanya's Island? Didn't he do Tanya's Island? Uh, I think I, he I did. I have so many mixed feelings about that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's a many. strange. So yeah, many. Yeah. What's the, what's the gorilla's name again? The gorilla's name is Blue, and the guy that she's on the island with has a funny name like Bobo or. <laughs> I can uh, look it up. I, I yeah, forgot. look it up uh, while I finish okay. this because it's hilarious. 
Yes, the one. And past pro okay, so he's talking about Alfred Soul. Yes, the one. Or that one, I'm sorry. And past projects of films director and Pat I'm sorry, I'm reading this so horribly. I do this to Jack every time. <laughs> and past projects of the film's director, Mary Lambert. Yep, she directed Pet Cemetery, but also Madonna music videos like Material Girl, Like a Virgin, and Like a Prayer. I just wanna also mention I loved oh, oh, that's just about my commentary and someone's watching me. I won't go into that. But thank you so much. I really appreciated that, Jack. That was really nice of you to listen to it. So did you look it up, Dan? I, I've got it uh, here now. Lobo. Is Lobo. Lobo. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, it is Alfred Soul, produced and written by Pierre Brosseau. Brosseau. Sure. I was so close with Bobo. Bobo has pretty... a different meaning than Lobo. Like, Lobo sounds like a stud. <laughs> Bobo sounds like a clown. Yeah, I used to have a cat named Lobo. She oh, was yeah, sweet. that's right. You did. Oh, for Sheriff yeah. Lobo. I I think of Bobo Jones, Mr. and Mrs. Bobo Jones, that TV movie. I think Desi Arnaz is in it. Sure <laughs> I love you know the name it. of it. Sure you know it. <laughs> of course. Of course. Mr. Um, and Mrs. Bobo Jones. <laughs> so anyway, thank you, Jack. Um, I'm really glad that you enjoyed you, those movies, especially The Face of Evil, because that's the, the, the best one. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so <laughs> we also have some audio feedback from Adam Gordon. Adam Gordon here, and Face of Evil had a really interesting first 10 minutes with a noir-type setup, including a jilted fiancé on the hunt for his ex. Then the film jumped the shark at the exact moment the suitcase started moving, taking a turn to the comically absurd. Should it have taken three months for Janelle to conclude that something was strange? And what about the trail of countless crimes, larceny, felonious assault, and murder? Sure, that's one thing, but getting on a commercial flight without a photo ID and stealing someone else's term paper? Now Brianne slash Darcy slash Barbara has gone too far. Is Gold's character truly evil by historic standards, or just amoral, impulsive, obsessive, and stupid? Childlike, as quoted in the film. Given the fact that the main character thought literally zero seconds ahead before taking any actions, I'm going with choice B, though she could think on her feet. It's as though the screenwriter copied and pasted random story elements from other crime fiction and films to make this Frankenstein. Right up to the end where the cop says that the case against Barbara could be circumstantial. Almost like a the end with a question mark. Between this film and Lady Killers, I have learned that artists sure do have a lot of deadly weapons at their disposal. For a brief after the credits, it's the fiancé murder that nails Barbara, with fresh fingerprints all over the truck, and his blood found on her clothes, underneath all of that paint. She gets life, but only because New Hampshire is in a death penalty state. Ten states are happy, though, to get a killing spree cleared. The theme of this double feature was films featuring vixens, but it could have also have been films featuring obliviousness, as exemplified by the Shelburne's and company in the nightcap Summer Girl. So let me get this one straight. The widower is now dating someone who happened to be, as far as he knew, near two previous, quote, suicides, one of which was his former wife's and the other was executed by jumping and then decides to confront said girlfriend right on the edge of a cliff. And Pete wasn't the only male character thinking below the belt. Mary was too slow on the uptake as well. And why, after being drugged a second time, did she not yell at the people 20 feet away on the beach to call an ambulance before slipping into unconsciousness? 
Ugh. Watch for a couple you'd meet at a swingers convention. A pregnant woman drinking. Barry Bostwick putting his face three inches from Diane Franklin's crotch. An unusual internal soliloquy for a thriller. The slap. Before the slap. It's a shame that it was filmed through too dark of a filter. And mirror image performances of impetuous children. On the positive side, the musical score did provide an interesting aura to the film. The shot of Cine in silhouettes, described as memorable over at Kinder Trauma, seems a lot less intimidating when you realize that the only thing keeping Cine and Barbara's streaks of terror going was raw stupidity. You mentioned Albert Pyun on the Snow Beast minisode, and I wanted to briefly mention that he has a GoFundMe going on now for a new film entitled Badass Angels and Demons, and it sounds interesting. Check it out. Thanks again, Amanda. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. We always love your feedback. It's always yeah. really good. But something that you didn't mention, but while I was listening to it, that made me think of something I wanted to mention was one of the things I really love about Face of Evil is the setting itself. It really feels like fall and winter. And mm-hmm. I thought those are my favorite seasons. Yeah. And I just here. love the feel of the movie. It's just, it's like, especially the fall parts when they go to Thanksgiving at her. I guess it's not Thanksgiving yet. They go to her house. They crash Janelle's house, the dad, you know, and um, hang out there, and they're playing basketball that scene. And they're all in their, their sweaters and coats, and it really feels crisp and, like, um, very autumn. Yeah. And I just, even if the, if the movie had nothing else happening, it really captured seasons for me. And I forgot to mention that. I think it's really beautiful, actually. But, yeah, you're right. These characters are stupid, Adam. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all dumb. So, yeah, so, and sometimes you got to let it ride. Yeah, that's what I think. I think he brings up a lot of good points. I think it's interesting the way he was talking about Barry Bostwick uh, and Diane Franklin's crotch. I don't re- remember that. But I don't quite remember. <laughs> that seems a little edgy for TV. A little edgy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think I think with these types of films, hopefully you know what you're getting into when you turn on your TV that night. And you just yeah. kind of, like, hope for the best. And, and in general, in terms of just shut your brain off sort of eye candy thrillers, I think that these do pretty good jobs. Agree. And Albert Payne's awesome. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I'd like to see his um, his is it, is it Invasion, the film that's shot all from like um, dashboard cams. Oh wow! I think it's just, he made it a few years ago. It's something alien related. I, I, it sounds interesting. I, I don't I, I don't know how good it is because he can be a bit um, uneven. Uh, yeah. Not like. Yeah, not like a Bruno Mattai or something like that, who's always wonderfully uneven and, and crazy. But but he does have his ups and downs. But it sounds like an interesting concept. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I think his ideas are brilliant, and I think he's a really interesting mm-hmm. filmmaker. Um, he re, he did a remake or a sequel to Streets of Fire. Oh. Have I you seen know. the trailer for that? No. Oh, no. it's crazy. It looks like it was shot on acid. <laughs> like on video and acid. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's crazy. I'll I think Michael Perry's in it. So, but I've never seen the film itself, but it looks really neat. So, okay, so that's the feedback. You can find us on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem Show. You can find us on Twitter, I think, at TV Mayhem Podcast. And you can email us at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. I can never remember our URL, but it's something like tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com. Um, Dan, if you could just tell us in like a very short, like, capsule, uh, so we can still have Nate here because it's getting late. Yeah, uh, eventually Super Train. Uh, I have my yes. <laughs> no, go Good night, everybody. Oh, eventually Super Train. Uh, <laughs> Bleeding Skull book. Uh, some Polish American guy reviews things. Blogspot.com. Eighties action movies on the cheap. I'm working on a new book now, and that's 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 it in a nutshell. 
That's what's That's going on. Perfect. Wow. So you're so concise today, Dan. Yay. Yeah. We, we all turned out concise. Now we're going to ramble for 10 minutes about how concise we are. Yeah. But, I, uh, you I, know. Hope it, I hope people like it. I'm so used to us rambling that I'm worried that people are going to be like, well. Where'd the ramble go? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if people like it or not. So if you like the ramble, let us know. Um, <laughs> get in touch with us. But uh, Nate, do you have anything going on? Um, no. <laughs> well, what's, where are you on the Steer Continues? Because I've fallen really far behind because you're just shitting them out so fast. Let's see. Well, we we did a bunch of episodes all at once yeah. because um, Eric and Justin were going to be out of town uh, at different times. So it pretty much made this whole entire month impossible to record. So we did a bunch in advance. I think Slumber Party Massacre 3 is coming up next. Oh, okay. I think. You know, um, you guys are going to do Shadows Run Black. Have you recorded that yet? Oh. Not yet. Okay. Fun. Yeah, I left fun. a really long comment about it on the Hysteria Continues because we covered oh, that fun. on Podcast Mania. We did, yeah. And yeah, I went yeah. kind of deep into I went deep mm-hmm. into that one. I think it's kind of an interesting film, so I'll be excited to hear your guys' oh. opinion of it. I'm excited to cover it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I don't think it's my favorite film, but I think it's one of the more fascinating movies to come out in that era personal opinion but anyway whatever i can't wait to hear your episode so check out the hysteria continues they do have a patreon so check that out too and support them if you can so we'll see you guys next time thank you so much for listening and drop us a line and say hey good night everybody good night everyone good night